This is the Dosa Cero Podcast, a weekly show devoted to football in Mexico, the U.S., and beyond. If you are a pocho, puma, regio, chiva, cholo, fresa, tigre, tapatio, chilango, or even a Methodist, pull up a chair, crack open a cold one, and enjoy the next 90 minutes of heated football debate. Thus begins... The Dosa Cero Podcast. Okay, this is a Dosa Cero Podcast. Looks like we have a bit of a double audio running there. I'm not sure what's going on with that, uh, but... Thank you for joining us. Uh, we are live on YouTube, as you guys know, and we're also going to be uh, recording this and be putting this on uh, iTunes. Uh, someone probably needs to mute their mic. I'm not sure who that is. Oh, that's me. Mic. Yeah. Okay. Well, there we are. I think that we should be good now. A uh, little uh, audio audio mix up there. But as we were saying, this is a Dos Acero podcast. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to join the chat on YouTube and uh, let us know. And whew, I'm confusing myself with a, with a double audio. I'm not sure what's going on. I think that's in your end. I don't, I don't hear anything. Yeah, John, I also don't hear double audio. Oh, so it's just me? Yeah. I, I believe it is. Oh. Okay, well, I guess I will have to deal with uh, listening to double audio. Fair enough. Okay, anyway, as I was saying. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started. As you guys know, there's a World Cup qualifying week all over the well in uh, this part of the world anyway with uh, South America and Central America. And Mexico will be playing up in Vancouver against Canada in their semifinal qualifying group. And we have with us tonight uh, a gentleman who uh, is uh, someone that is uh, very familiar with the Canadian soccer. His name is Grant Sturridge. He uh, operates the uh, Canadian Soccer News website. And uh, we wanted to bring him on so that he can uh, tell us a little bit more about Canada because, uh, to be perfectly honest, it's not uh, – a national team that we may uh, here at the Los Acero podcast follow us as closely as probably we should, but we uh, certainly want to get their insight to them because I think the things are starting to change for, for, for Canada, uh, and then hopefully they'll uh, start uh, uh, playing uh, a little bit more up to their capabilities. So we want to uh, thank Grant for joining us. Thank you, Grant, for uh, coming on the show. Hey, can you guys, everyone hear me? We hear you just fine. Okay. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show. Well, Grant, I guess the first question that we wanted to ask you is, uh, what should we expect from Canada? Well, you you sort of alluded to it, but but there definitely is what I would describe as kind of a, a cautious optimism around the Canadian team now amongst Canadian fans. Um, we sort of our our manager we have right now, Benito Flora, has been very successful 
in bringing new players into the team. Um, that's really been the biggest story when it comes to Canada over about the year, past year and a half. Uh, we, we here in Canada, with our national soccer team, have always sort of fallen victim to players who have the option to play for Canada choosing to play for other teams. But in the past year and a half, we've had uh, Junior Hoylett, who plays for uh, QPR in England, um, uh, Tesho Akindeli. Uh, we had just one recently announced, Scott Arfield. He plays for... <laughs> he's playing for uh, for Burnley in England. Uh, and even uh, Stephen Vittoria, he's a defender as well. So really, it's really, we've had this group of players who... For the first time ever, it feels like players are actually choosing to play for Canada. And because of that, uh, and the two positive results we got in the first round of qualifying, I would say that, that you know, for, for Canada fans, we're cautiously optimistic about this game in Vancouver, thinking maybe, just maybe, if everything goes our way, we can get a draw. So a draw for you in Vancouver, then, would be uh, would that be a victory for the, for the Canadians, then, for them to... To manage to uh, if, get the one point. Yeah, I, I would. If if we were able to get a draw in Vancouver, I would I would descri- definitely describe that as a victory. I think that would be seen as a huge, dare I say, massive result getting a draw against Mexico in Vancouver. Now, would you, as a Canadian, would you prefer for Canada to get the draw like they did when they played six years ago in Edmonton, where they, you know, a, a, a group of college kids essentially gave Mexico a, a, a team that was desperate. To, to get any kind of result on the road, and they play to a 2-2 draw, or, or, do you, or, or is it going to be one of these games where Canada's going to play for a 0-0 and hang on for dear life? Now, now refresh, that was when Sven Goran Eriksson was with Mexico? That is correct, and uh, yeah. that was the, the, the point that they desperately had to have. If they didn't have that point, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have qualified even for the hex. Quick quick note, I actually looked this up before I came on here. Sven Goran Eriksson now coaching in, or managing in Thailand. That seems very appropriate. How, how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in, but getting to your question, uh, well, I, I I mean, an exciting draw would be great, sure. I mean, I, I think that would that would be fun for for everyone involved. But what I you know, if we if, we, if it does end up being a draw, I would expect a nil nil draw. I mean, I think uh, Benito Flora has definitely. We, we sort of have a nickname up here. We call it Floro Ball. And he has been very upfront about how, you know, the group of players he has is not really that skilled, and his main sort of goal is to make Canada very, very difficult to score against. Uh, and he's been really sort of... It almost feels like his entire tenure up to now with all these sort of really boring defensive games we've had to sit through, it's all been leading up to this, to, to playing against Mexico, to finally where a situation where it would really benefit us to kind of to kind of go for this approach and try to grind out this zero zero draw. So we'll we'll see if they can do it. Now, who on uh, on the Canadian side, outside from the, uh, the the striker for the place for Orlando, should should we keep an eye on uh, as the game progresses? You mentioned that the, that the defense is where uh, Benito wants uh, the focus. Is there any couple of defenders that 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 you've noticed over the past? Well, I guess since they've started qualifying with their games against Belize, have really stood out, and, and players have really have a an opportunity to uh, stifle the Mexican offense. 
Well, so so two things here. Uh, I'll say just in terms of players t- to watch uh, beyond uh, Kyle Laren. I mean, you have Junior Hoylett, who has seen a, a big victory for the Canadian program to get him to come back and say, you know, yes, I'll play for Canada. We have to remember that a few seasons ago he was kind of a big deal, and there was talk that he might actually eventually play for England. Um, his his star has faded a bit uh, in the UK since then, but for us, he he's arguably our best uh, offensive player. Uh, and that you would sort of watch for him, and you're also going to watch for this guy Scott Arfield, who who actually has is is setting foot in Canada for the first time ever to play this game. His father is uh, from Toronto, but he was born in Scotland. Uh, he played for Scotland uh, for the youth t- youth teams growing up, and then he you know decided his his future wasn't with the Scottish national team, so he has made the switch. So if he, in fact, you know, it would be his debut for the team, but a lot of people think because he, he has the quality and he's that good, he will he will get the start. So uh, if I was watching from the Mexico fan perspective, I'm definitely going to keep a, an eye on those two. Uh, in terms of uh, sort of the defense, I think that's where we're seeing some question marks for the Canadian team that remain. Uh, we're still not entirely sure who is going to start in goal. Um, there's there's some questions around uh, you know the central defenders. We have this young kid, Donnell Henry, who plays with the youth team in West Ham. He has just kind of recovered from an injury, and we're you know there, there's talk about whether he's going to he's going to get the start or. It will be uh, Dejan Yakovic, another a guy who's played for Canada for a long time, but he's in his mid-30s. So in as much as Floro has this defensive, defensive kind of posture and that's how he approaches the game, uh, I think in terms of the Canada team, where, where the, question, the biggest question marks are actually on that back line. So it, it, it seems like that's where the, the, the nerves are going to be for the Canadian fans is... Uh... You know, if, oh, oh. if they're expecting a defensive game and then they have a couple of defensive slip-ups, I can see where you guys might, you know, reach for the pack of cigarettes a little early. I, 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 I totally understand that. Well, no, I have to say, we're definitely, probably something, it is Vancouver, so maybe even something stronger than tobacco they, uh, they might, <laughs> might be reaching for there to uh, to calm their nerves when well, it comes to this game. You're saying that BC plays could turn into Bob Marley Stadium in Kingston. <laughs> exactly. 20 minutes. Well, oh, oh definitely. Like Sounds like I picked a good game to go to. All right, that should be that should oh, be yeah. interesting. Yeah. Should, Fun for both sets of fans. Right. Now I did I did uh, listen to the press conference yesterday between uh, that the two coaches had uh, there in Vancouver, and I noticed that uh, that the Canadian coach Florio said something that I found very interesting, and uh, this is something that I would want to ask you uh, as well as far as just Canadian soccer. He said that listen, it's it, it's hard enough for any team in the country to put together a national team. He said we have to do it. Mm-hmm. Without without the strength of our own, of our own league, it says that that's we're very right. limited when it comes to that. So my question to you is, and I think we've talked about this in the past. I know that there are some Canadian teams in MLS, but but what would it take for Canada to have their own league? And would the Canadian fans even want their own league, or would they rather be part of MLS? Well, I mean, interestingly enough, when you sort of alluded to it at the beginning, I should just one quick note. I I personally don't operate uh, CanadianSoccerNews.com. I'm a contributing writer there. Uh, we have the managing editor is a fellow called Dwayne Rollins, and he has actually done a lot of reporting over the past year about a plan to have just this, a Canadian league. Now, the details kind of remain sketchy. It, it seems like it would be very closely aligned, interestingly enough, with the Canadian Football League. You guys are from Texas. You enjoy your, your football. I'm sure you've all heard of the CFL, if if not Absolutely. actually... 
where Longhorns that, that don't make the NFL go straight to the CFL. So absolutely right. sure. There you go. There you go. So, so sort of the from from what the details that have been reported and have kind of leaked out, it would be a league. I don't know, six to eight teams. It would sort of slot in somewhere under MLS alongside NASL. Um, it would be up, you know, the teams would play out of the CFL stadiums, sort of another source of revenue for the CFL owners. Um, that that sort of the existing infrastructure is there. Um, and this is sort of the next great hope. Now, it just remains to be seen. I mean, we, the last sort of Canadian league, I believe, would have folded in the early 1990s. And it, it's just, we, we just face a lot of um, obstacles in Canada in terms of getting our own league. I mean, soccer is actually a very popular sport here. It's just that many people choose to support either European soccer or kind of their, their sort of, you know, the, the team where maybe they originally came from or where their parents came from. So so getting this consensus and this support for soccer in Canada has always been difficult. And then you have the, there's a lot of travel, you have the costs factor in. Um, the, the other issue would be, so we get this league and then it, it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, the MLS teams are going to stay in the MLS. So right away you have this Canadian league that would be seen, I think, sort of, a, a, sort of a step below MLS, so kind of a minor league. Uh, would would fans in Canada come out to support that league? It's, it's hard to say. So, you know, there there is there are plans to make it happen. It's just really, you know, whether or not it will succeed is kind of a huge question mark. Okay. Uh, one last question. I'll let you know it's getting late up there in Toronto, but uh, yeah, no problem. I'd also like to get a question in too, John. Of course, if you don't mind. Panel, absolutely. Uh, please, Daniel. <laughs> Okay, um, yeah, I was just wondering, looking beyond the, the two Mexico matches, uh, who do you see as your biggest competition to to qualify into the hex? Well, so we, as you know, we got up to a decent start. We beat Honduras at home, uh, which, which for us was a very important victory because many people here, you know, I was going to say are still stinging, but I think the, the better way to describe it would be permanently scarred from this 8-1 to one loss we suffered against Honduras in the last qualifying cycle. Uh, we just needed to go to Honduras. All we needed, uh, I believe all we needed to do was get a draw, and we were through. We were finally back to the hex, and we ended up losing 8-1, to one, and it was, it was an unmitigated disaster. So as soon as this group, as soon as the teams came out, as soon as the draw was held, we saw Honduras, and we immediately knew that it, it was them. I mean, certainly no disrespect to El Salvador. I know they've had their issues with their team recently, but I, I think most of the fans here in Canada were were just immediately zeroed in on Honduras and felt that okay, these are the it's going to come down to beating them. And then you know, in the next sort of round of two games, we have to go down there. And I really, I think most Canada fans are, you know, deep in their sort of hearts, they realize we're not going to get any points against Mexico, so we're really almost looking ahead to the next two games, and that game uh, in Honduras is going to be huge. Anybody else have any questions for our wonderful Canadian guest? <laughs> uh, yeah, how are you doing? This is uh, Ronnie from uh, Soccer Chronicle. Hi, uh, Ronnie. How are you? I'm well. Good, good. Well, one question. Uh, the... Uh, well, Canada actually is always going to be a, kind of like a sore spot because of the 2009 Gold Cup. 
So I just, you know, now just wanted to, you know, throw that out there. You know, that, that cost really my, my favorite coach, La Puente, his job, basically. No, but <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Not. I didn't realize no. we were going to dig up such old wounds. I, I know. Yes, yeah. yes, it hurts. It's still, it still stings. It still stings. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but um, – no, the question I wanted to, the question I wanted to ask: How much did Floro's experience in Mexico basically take into account when the you know Canadian Federation hired him? Because you know, as as, as some of you guys know, Floro coached in, in in Monterrey, and he's very familiar with Mexican right. football. Well, I mean, to, to be perfectly upfront, I don't you know I don't have I don't think I have any real insight into how how in the end how the CSA made their decision. However. I can tell you that they certainly made public, you know, in, as part of their search, that they, they wanted a coach with experience. They wanted a coach, preferably, who could speak Spanish, and they wanted a coach who had experience in CONCACAF. And I think Benito Floro, you know, immediately, because of his time in, with, with Monterey, immediately ticked all those boxes. So certainly, I think uh, his time in Mexico would have influenced their decisions. Definitely. Yeah. Well, for some some of the younger viewers, Floro basically he did uh, he actually laid a lot of the groundwork or groundwork um, for Monterey because like after him, a couple coaches after him, that's when Monterey started finding success. I mean, he's you know Floro, you know he, Benito, he's a very good coach. He's a very good coach. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's also the one that uh, debuted uh, the Nigris. So is, is Pern with us right now? He actually had a very, uh, very fond words to say. I was watching the uh, Televisa that's on YouTube as well, t- uh, talking about Denigris. Uh, mm. If you don't know, uh, Tano Denigris was a player who uh, got his start at Monterrey when uh, okay. was there, and then was blackballed. He ended up uh, finishing his career in uh, Turkey, and I say finishing because unfortunately he uh, he had a heart murmur that wasn't detected, and he ended up dying uh, while while he was over there. Uh, oh right, okay, so okay. This happened, and then, uh, and then his brother just played outside of his mind for the next six months or so, uh, and, and we all thought that you know he had a chance to make the World Cup before he got hurt. So right. yeah, it's uh, and 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 Florida, of course, we always remember that that the Florida also is a coach of Real Madrid, so it's not like you know Canada is just uh, they picked the name out of a out of the phone book to coach the team. They picked a really good coach. And I to be fair, in the past. They may have just done exactly that to pick their coach, but but anyway. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. I, I think uh, that this is uh, Christian. As you were, uh, did I have you have a question? question? If you don't mind. Yeah, just a quick one, just to elaborate a little bit on sure. what Ronnie uh, just mentioned. Uh, Canada has uh, the history with Mexico is a little interesting, especially over the last 15, 20 years. Um, when you say that, as a fan, you think that a, a a zero zero or a one one or any variation of a tie uh, would be considered a victory at home. Um, mm-hmm. Without without really especially re- referencing the numbers, which I don't have <clears throat> with me, I, I do believe that Canada does have a, a pretty favorable record against Mexico. I mean, dating back to the seventies, uh, we're talking maybe four or five games played in Canada. Um, Especially with with what we've seen from Florio and the way that the team has sort of gelled and, and, and grown and sort of sort of dug their heels and and developed that sort of defensive rigid you know, sort of rigidity that he's looking for. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. as a fan, I'm, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if Canada pulled off a tie, um, but I do I do want to know why you would think that would be a victory because I mean, like I said, looking back at, at so even as as the sample size as small as it is. 
Canada does have some semblance of success versus Mexico at home. Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess all I can say, I mean, I, I, you're, you're definitely correct. You're right. I mean, Canada has, I, yeah, I believe there was a tie in, was it 2008 as part of the uh, 2010 qualifying cycle? And I think there was another, there was another tie in the 1990s. I, I'm also a bit, you know, fuzzy on the numbers, but, but absolutely. Um, they have been able to get results against Mexico at home, but, but the thing you have to understand about supporting the Canadian national team is that it's just, it's just, been such a dumpster fire. It's just been filled with so much disappointment, and I mean, we did we didn't even qualify for the uh, the Copa America, the Centenario, right? Um, it's just we're just so sort of we always expect the worst. I guess is I don't know how else to explain it. So so you know we've got two decent results so far in the cycle, and it just for us to get to get a point off Mexico would. I mean, I think everyone would be over the moon. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've heard the interviews the players the players have been doing this week, and they've been saying, "Oh yeah, maybe we can win." But I think really a draw would, yeah, we'd be very happy with that. If you expect the worst out of your team, then I I, I think that you should seriously consider rooting for Mexico. I think that 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 that, that's the team for you. If if that's if 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 that's all you want to. You know, if you want to live and die by your soccer, I think the Chivas is the team for you. Grant, one last question, and then I'll let you know. I'll let you go. Sure. Uh, sure. One thing I've noticed about soccer here in the U.S. is, you know, especially when it comes between the men's and women's, is that because the women's soccer is is relatively relatively well, obviously very successful. They just uh, right. won the World Cup in Canada. It, it was their third World Cup. That you know, it, it's something that that's extremely. I don't want to say it's popular, but it seems like it does capture the nation's. Uh, imagination when they play. Is that happening with the Canadian women's team as well? Is it, did, did you feel that the, because of the success, the Canadians women's women's team is a is a little more popular than the men's just because of the fact that they've had more success? I I, I would say unquestionably that the women's team is is infinitely more popular than the men's team. Um, you have to understand. I mean, the last in the, was it the 2012 Olympics in London. We we almost. I mean, we almost beat the U.S. It was this crazy gold medal game. Uh, they had I don't know, the infamous sort of the six second rule about the Canadian keeper got the penalty for holding the ball. Uh, it was. And I mean, that was watched by millions of people. And I mean, there's nothing that that sort of gets Canadians riled up or more excited or more kind of feeling proud than beating the United States at something. So, so ever since the London Olympics, um, and then just all the, all the sort of press around and hype around hosting the Women's World Cup, um, the, the, yeah, the women's team has, in, in terms of like the casual sort of sports fan, by far the women's team would be far more uh, popular, more well known. I mean, we had Christine Sinclair, arguably one of the best players in the world. I mean, she is on television commercials in Canada, which is unheard of for a for a Canadian men's team player, right? Um, now, you know, I mean, if the Canadian, the women's game is a bit different. There's not as many countries that are as good, uh, I guess is one way of putting it. So they, you know, they, relative to every, everyone else, the Canadian team is just much better. Now, if the men's team were to go on some kind of a run, maybe make the World Cup, get out of their group, I mean, who knows, you might start to see that change. Uh, if we were to have uh, some, a young kid go over to Europe and start lighting up a league there, then that tips the equation too, but, um... Does, does Definitely Owen for the moment. Uh, I'm sorry. Does Owen Hargraves not count? <laughs> no. Owen Hargraves does does definitely not count. I got a question on that comment, uh, Jimmy. 
Okay, Albert. One yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I got a question. Right. I also have a question. Another one. I don't know if you, sure, did, I, you might not, stay on a little longer. Let, let, let Albert ask his question first. <laughs> Sorry. Ask his question first. Go, Albert. Because you mentioned the, the popularity of the sport uh, growing after, for example, the Canada made it past uh, their group or in, into the World Cup. Even mm-hmm. uh, I sort of compare or, or, or look at the United States soccer and the success that they've had. You know, they've been to World Cups. But the soccer, it has grown, but it's still not popular like it is in other sports or in other countries. Is Canada, right. and that's and I and I see that because of competing with NFL and, and NBA. Is there uh, is there that type of thing in Canada where soccer is never going to be the number one sport because there's hockey and then there's football, or is there a real possibility that Canada, Canada could beat the apples other sports? You know, I mean, it's it's a very interesting question. I, I mean, hockey has sort of holds a place for many Canadians that I, I don't, I think, in, at least not in my lifetime, will be challenged. I mean, it's it's kind of the one sport we we're the best at. So while more kids play soccer than hockey, I think hockey remains, um, you know, it, it holds this sort of special place even amongst people who can't skate. Right. Um, that being said, I mean, we had, you know, just recently you had the Blue Jays, for example, went on this amazing run, and, I mean, there was record television audiences in Canada for a sport like baseball, which has always been possible, uh, popular. Uh, you have a lot of really good young Canadian players, uh, you know, who are coming up in NCAA basketball right now. Andrew Wiggins, he was, I believe he was the Rookie of the Year last year with Minnesota. So there are definitely other sports that are kind of, you know, we have it's more so in Western Canada, but we have the CFL. It's hanging in there as well. So, so there's a lot of sports that are kind of at a level just below sort of where hockey is. Uh, but I, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think that soccer will ever become the sport. But, but I certainly think, like, especially in a city like Toronto, I, I, soccer is very popular. I mean, people, you have the bars are full with people watching European soccer in the in the mornings. Um, I think that that soccer has there's a lot of room to grow. Um, will you know? It may never sort of be the sport, but uh, sort of a sport. I don't know. Does that make any sense? Sure. sure. Yes. Juan, did you have a question? Juan Uribe. Question for Grant Sturridge, our resident Canadian for the night. Hey, Grant. Hey, everybody. Hey. Uh, sorry, I had some technical difficulties. Yeah, but my question for Grant was: uh, uh, Let's say the Canadians women's team uh, won a World Cup. Would you wear? Mm-hmm. Your jersey with the World Cup star proudly. Oh, of course, I definitely. If, if the if the Canadian women won won a World Cup, I I would yeah definitely be. I mean, I think most people in the country would too. Yeah, they it would be if the Canadian, especially at the last Olympics, if the Canadian women had managed to win that gold medal. I mean, I think people would still be talking about it as one of sort of the greatest Canadian sports achievement achievements ever. That, that would definitely be a big deal. A sub question, uh, mm-hmm. follow up question. Uh, sure. Uh, do the French and the English speaking uh, parts of the country do they do they both support the women's team or is there any any cultural divide there? Like, uh, do some of them support can uh, support France or anything like that? Uh, yeah, that's that's actually kind of a fascinating question too. Um, I, I think. It's kind of hard to say. I mean, well, for starters, I don't really think a lot of people in Quebec would support France because they kind of have some historical animosity that maybe not a lot of people know about, but often French people from France are not that popular in, in Quebec. Uh, I think 
I'll put it this way: for both of the national teams, and this is like, I, you know, I unfortunately don't speak French myself, but I think that amongst the people in Quebec, there would be more sort of muted support for for the Canadian national teams in general, whether it be the men or the women. Um, I just think it, it's kind of a it's a long, complicated history. Um, that's not to say, I mean, yes, I, I think there definitely is some support for Canada, but I mean, you guys must know they've had this kind of separatist movement there for a long time. I mean, it's just, it's a bit more ambiguous. It's a bit, it's complicated. It's complicated. You know, speaking of Quebec, I was at the FC Dallas Montreal game over the weekend, and in the press right. conference, the, uh, the Montreal coach actually answered the majority of his questions in, in, in French from the Montreal press, which mm-hmm. I thought was fascinating, and, and he didn't translate. Whereas when uh, Oscar Pareja, who was the FC Dallas coach, that someone like me would ask him a question in Spanish, he would answer in Spanish, right. and then he would answer, uh, he would he would answer in English. Does anybody right. else have any questions for Grant? Yes, sir. Fire away, Dan. Yeah. So as a from a fan, from a fan's perspective, I guess I'm curious as to how you personally feel about MLS, and now that there's a potential for a, for a league. Do you resent MLS on some level, or because in some ways you know it's going to be the measuring stick, or on some level it's it is the domestic league at this point? So I'm just kind of curious how like the typical Canadian fan feels about this whole MLS and domestic soccer. Yeah, I, I don't think that. The, I mean, certainly some of the TFC fans resent the owners in Toronto, for example, but that's an entirely different story. I, no, I don't think there would be resentment for MLS. I mean, you know, say say what we will about MLS and what it's done or what it doesn't, what it hasn't done for Canadian soccer. I mean, you now have uh, you know soccer in three the three biggest Canadian cities where you have thousands upon thousands of people going, and I, I would argue now that the the MLS teams in Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal are now more popular than the CFL teams there. Um, so, so you know, it's it's the MLS teams in Canada, I think, are helping to grow the sport. Now, if this new league does get off the ground, it really remains to be seen what kind of a relationship they will have with MLS. Um, I think in Canada, like many countries, you have people who don't live in the big cities always kind of have a little bit of, like, I don't know if resentment is the quite right word, but... Sort of, you know, you know, those hot shots from Toronto, blah blah blah. So there might actually be some pride in being part of this, like a real, real Canadian soccer league. You know, not like those MLS guys who are just part of an American league. But I mean, that's just me, kind of talking out of my ass. Um, well, if, if that <laughs> happens, I will support the team from Thunder Bay. I promise. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I'll support a, a Canadian team every single time when they go, when they go up against an MLS team. Yeah, I mean that. Well, that's the other. That's the other thing too. I mean, that, so does does this Canadian league? Would it be in the Concacaf Champions League? Um, there's, there's a lot of questions, right? It should. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Ronnie, did you have one last question for for our our, our, our Canadian friend? Uh, well, not necessarily a question. Uh, just uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Christian wanted you know the the stats. Uh, with Canada and Mexico, actually 29 matches played, four wins for the Canadians, 17 for the Mexicans, and eight draws. Four wins, wow. Okay. So, I mean, that's that's yeah, senior. I told, you, I told you, Grant, that uh, I, 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 Grant had asked me some questions about how, uh, you know, when Mexico and Canada, what kind of relationship they had. I said that before the U.S., the 
yeah, at least in my lifetime, the biggest rivals for Mexico were always Costa Rica and Canada because they were always right. Mexico the closest. And uh, so yeah, it's uh, well, it's, yeah, the last you know last time uh, Canada went to the World Cup was actually '86 World Cup, right? In Mexico. Right. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, yes. France uh, run for their money and that and had to wait for Jean Pierre Papin to <laughs> bail out the French. But uh, you know, and I remember that '93 game as well because even though Mexico had steamrolled in in that. Uh, in that, in that, I guess the final round, it wasn't really hex. I can't remember how many teams there were. They, they lost to the in the Cuscatlan, and that was back in the day when they only got two points for a win instead of three. So when mm-hmm. Canada got that early goal against Mexico, Mexico was out of the World Cup. It was, it was, uh, it was a really, really nerve-wracking game, and they were able to, to to come from behind and win it. But I mean, that was that was a very serious. Uh, so that was probably the one of the toughest games that Mexico ever won was that behind in Toronto. I believe yeah, that was at Varsity Stadium in Toronto, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ugo uh, was on that. Ugo was playing, and I think Abuelo Cruz scored the winning game-winning goal. Yeah, I think Ugo got the equalizer, and Ugo yeah. set up Abuelo Cruz for the, uh, for the equalizer. Grant, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And, and uh, oh no, this is yeah, it was great. I'm yeah. happy to come back anytime. Sure. Well, one one last thing. What what is your what is your prediction? Please. Well, before prediction. I mean, I was going to ask you guys the exact same. Why don't you guys go first? I'm I'm curious. What what do you honestly think? I think a draw in I think a draw in uh, in Canada and uh, and I think a win in Me- in Mexico. Okay. I think it'll be much like that. Probably a zero zero, maybe a one one, in uh, in Canada on Friday, and then Mexico will pull it out. Maybe two three. 3-0 in Mexico City. Yeah, I think uh, okay. I think a 1-1, 1-1 draw in, in in Vancouver, and I think Mexico will will eke one out down in, in the Azteca, and I think the Bluebirds will start showing up a little bit, but I think they'll win 2-0 at the Azteca. So am I the only one who has Mexico winning? I guess so. No, I got Mexico winning also. A I modest think, a modest 1-0. I think 2-0 in Canada. Juan? Okay. Mexico 3-0. Sorry, Grant. So I had at least at least. <laughs> Three Mexico fans saying that they're saying there's going to be a draw in Vancouver. Sure. Yes. I, I think I think you guys are just trying to kind of stay on side of karma. Is what I think. No, I, I think Florida's a good coach. I think you, I think you, I think I think Florida's a, a very good coach, and I think he's going to. I think he's going to play the cat and mouse game in Vancouver, and I think he's mm-hmm. going to try to you know make it difficult uh, for Mexico. You know, basically just I, I'm I don't, I don't want to say they're going to park the bus. But you know, right. I, I I think that I think they're they're gonna be, play compact, and I think they're gonna try to just you know keep, you know, try to keep the game very very close. I think you know they'll play you know a zero zero or one one. I, I don't think it's gonna be you know I, I don't think they're you know you know Mexico can open up the floodgates and 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 you know go out there winning three nothing or two you know nothing. I think it's gonna be close. Yeah, Tony's um, got a point. This the kind of style that Canada is gonna or has been developing, and 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 that really. Sort of com- very compact, uh, you know, lines in midfield and defense. It's not a style that suits Mexico, you know, um, and uh, it, it's probably going to complicate things a little bit. And, and you know, if Canada, if Canada's smart, you know, I'd say if uh, the rumors are that Rafa Marquez is going to be playing uh, in Canada, uh, which I think most of us hope it's not the case. If he does end up playing, if Canada's smart, they could. Ex- there's a couple of things they could exploit there, you know. So I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not uncomfortable. Uh, one qu- one question. What's what's the turf at the stadium? Is it uh, is it uh, artificial? Is it artificial? Yeah, yeah, artificial turf. 
So, yeah, okay, well. It's field right. turf, yeah. It's field yeah. turf. Oh, hey, also, one, one other last, you know, one last question uh, to our sure. Canadian. Sure. Uh, which other Canadian uh, cities are looking to get into the, into, into MLS? Into MLS? Yes, because, I mean, you have Montreal, you have Toronto, and you have uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps. Which other which other ones are, are trying to make a bid for uh, for uh, or show interest in? I have honestly not heard that any are. I, I would just assume at this point that MLS would be kind of finished with Canada. Okay. Because um, I, I the... just don't see any you know any other any other cities big enough or kind of important enough for them to bother. Okay. You know you're yeah. really really hurting the feelings of your friends in Winnipeg right now. I just want you. To know <laughs> hey, hold on a second, guys, guys. I, I I was born and raised in Winnipeg, so. Yeah, but I, uh, sadly, I don't think Winnipeg is going to get an MLS team. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Grant. We really appreciate it. And uh, but before you go, can I, can I give my prediction? Yes, please, by all means. So, yeah. So I'm I'm gonna I'm actually gonna say that we'll we'll sort it will be kind of a boring game in Vancouver, probably nil nil into the half, and then I'm gonna go with a with a one nil Mexico victory in Vancouver, and three nil at Azteca. For Mexico. Wow. Right. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I, wish, I wish it weren't so, but... Well, I just, I personally think that uh, Canada has the, a real solid chance to make the hex, and let's hope for everybody's sake that they do, because uh, it's uh, it, it's always nice to have the uh, the more traditional teams in the hex, It's uh, in my personal opinion, but that's just me. But anyway, thanks very much for joining us, Grant. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining the Dos Acero podcast, and uh, we'll keep in touch, and hopefully uh, we'll get to do this again when uh, Canada plays Mexico in the hex. Oh, that, that would absolutely make my day. That would be perfect. Th- thanks so much, you guys. That was yeah, great. Thank pleasure. Thank you. Cheers, man. Okay, cheers. Cheers. Good night. Good night. That was Grant Sturridge, uh, one of the contributing writers to Canadian Soccer News, uh, giving us his insight for uh, the upcoming Mexico-Canada match that's going to be played at BC Place at 10 Eastern on Friday night, Good Friday, and then, of course, they will have a reciprocal match at the Azteca, where Albert El Chiquiscampa will be. And he's not in the press box, but he does have tickets. By the way, Albert, if you're in get at that, oh, the game's at 7. Leave it to and I think you might make it. Leave it to because the traffic in Mexico City. Well, actually, it's, it's, it's a vacation week, so maybe if you left at 2.30, I think you'll be okay because the traffic is pretty crazy. Well, gentlemen, what did y'all think? We got a nice, uh, fresh Canadian perspective. I thought it was uh, very, very interesting, very elucidating, very eye-opening. It uh, it was it was a nice, refreshing uh, conversation we had with Grant. Yeah, it sounded like a mini-U.S. sort of. Yeah. A mini-U.S. soccer type of thing. And I'm proud of y'all for not for not throwing in a dick joke. Thank you very much. We, we kept it civil. It was nice. Not yet. Not yet? Well... There's always the ladies, young man, don't rule it out. Okay, so I believe that uh, Ronnie, before we got on, wanted he wanted to get MLS out of the way. Uh, for those of you that don't know, three of us were able to attend MLS matches over the weekend. I was at the uh, FC Dallas uh, match in Frisco versus uh, Montreal. Ronnie was able to catch uh, the Philadelphia. Who did they play, Ronnie, Philadelphia? And... Uh, uh, they played Toronto. against no, uh, no. They played against uh, uh, oh, Chicago. New England no. Revolution. New England Revolution. Yeah, yeah, the Revolution. The Revolution. And uh, and then Juan was able to catch the uh, 
El Clásico Californiano. Exactly. Our galaxy and San Jose. What are they? Clash? Earthquakes? I forget. Earthquakes. What they Earthquakes. San Jose Earthquakes, I think. San Jose Earthquakes. Was that? And that was at the. Uh, you're right there in Carson as well. So, uh, we know that Juan uh, once again uh, tweeted us pictures of his delightful pregame meal, which looks looked frankly absolutely delicious. My pregame meal of shepherd's pie was. I think it was whatever the kitchen had left over from the last game from last year. What goes in a shepherd's pie, man? I've never, I've never actually had that. Dude, um, all I have to say about shepherd's pie is it's English food. That's all I have to say. I don't think I have to say anything else. And Ronnie, I heard that you got something more than pretzels. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't need it though because it's it's meat, you know. I just ate the Brussels sprouts and the and the pretzels. You're not a meat eater, you. Uh, Got a vegan diet. What's that? He's watching his figure. Come on, vegan. He'll take the occasional chorizo, but no, no, no. I wouldn't say I'm like 100% vegan, but uh, I mean, I'm not a fanatic about it. Like you know, like you know, like a vegan won't consume consume any animal products. I mean, sometimes you know, you know, people cooking like beef. You know, stock or vegetable or chicken stock or stuff like that. I'll, I'll still eat it, you know, but I, I prefer, you know, not to. I mean, if I have an option of being 100% vegan, I'll, I'll choose 100% vegan. Interesting. So, Ronnie, tell us your experience about. Actually, we'll ask Juan uh, since he was his second game. Juan, please uh, give us your 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 insight as to not necessarily the game, but just the. I guess I guess I guess I want to talk about like the press experience. Uh, 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 of attending an MLS game. It was your second yeah. one, so what was different from the first and the second one? You know what? Uh, uh, Benjamin uh, pulled the strings this time, and he got me uh, He got me parking, so I didn't have to pay parking, which is, you know, that was nice. Uh, he's, re- he's referring to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first of, I, I think the, the press lady, she called uh, Ronnie uh, Benjamin, and then he said it's because he's money, so, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, Benjamin is in Ben Franklin. Yeah, yeah, Benjamin. So she's like, you know, she you know, she referred to me as Benjamin. I'm thinking, well, she must think I'm money then. Jesus calls me Benjamin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that's uh, you give her a Benjamin when you shake her hand. Maybe that's that. Ah, bueno. That, that, maybe that's what that is. So, so your experience got a little better. Now, tell us about your post game because it seems like there's only like like a, like the chosen few that can even ask Bruce Arena a question. That was the impression that I got. Is that, is that the impression you got? Yeah, because uh, the, the press officer, I, I'm not sure his name is not a, you know, he, he looked at me and he thought about it and then he regretted it and he went with somebody else. So, you know, I, I, get, the, I get the feeling from Bruce that he's kind of, it seems like he's done, uh, you know, managing or at least dealing with the press. They, it's always very short, you know, one, two, three questions. Uh, the visiting uh, manager, he, you know, he sits there, he takes as many questions as people are willing to throw at him. And most of the time, people... They don't. They don't have any questions. It's like there's only like a couple of reporters that even ask interesting, interesting questions. And most of the time, they're not even about the game. They're about uh, well, I guess they're not about what happened in the game. They're more like uh, you know, like there's one guy that asked them uh, uh, something about. Hey Juan, I think you're having technical yeah, difficulties. Lucy, Juan, you may want to reconnect. Yeah, well, reconnect once. Said that Bruce acts like that because I was at the press conference, which, by the way, and this is something that I'm going to have to talk to FC Dallas about. Uh, 
I had no idea the room where they had the press conference was, and there were no signs of no nothing. I was I was wandering the halls aimlessly like an idiot. Me and this other guy were trying to find it. It turns out that it's like in the like in this unfinished room that they just put the you know the the, the big uh, the big curtain up that has all the logos on it. I had no idea it was there. There were no signs, you know, no there were no uh, PR people directing anybody to show you where to go. It was just a big mess. Luckily, I got there in time. And and like I mentioned uh, when we were talking to Grant, the Montreal guy comes in and il, il parle français comme comme ça. And so on. And and but he only answered when they asked him in French. He answered, yeah. He responded in French when they asked him in English. He responded in English. He didn't do both. Now Oscar Pareja comes out, and the, the the folks that are asking him questions, you know, there were a couple of you know obviously veterans, but most of them were, you know, kids just out of college. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it, it just seems like. I'm not sure if they're really watching the game, or at least watching the game that I was watching, because of the questions they were asking. So at the very end, I, I was, uh, you know, I finally worked up the courage to ask him a question, and I asked him. The the, the question was, did uh, what what did he do to, to neutralize Biati? Because Biati was the is the guy at Montreal, and for the first 10 or 15 minutes, he had a major influence on the game, and then he just disappeared. So I asked him, you know, what it was that they did, and uh, you know, he gave me a really solid answer, and of course, he gave it to me in English and Spanish first. And then he said, for those of you who don't understand, this is what I said. And he gave the, gave, gave the response in English, which I thought was incredibly – I'm not sure if any other MLS coaches do that. I found it incredibly endearing uh, to you know, a, a, for him to cultivate a positive relationship with the press. You know, win or lose, I think you know, the fact that he's able to answer like that I thought was really interesting. Uh, Ronnie, what, 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 what's it like there at Union? I've been going to Union games on and off, you know, covering them. Uh, but I, I'd say for four or five years, man. I mean, it's on and off. Uh, it's going to the games. It's actually nice. I mean, I like going to the games. It's it's a nice atmosphere. Uh, it's easy to get to. It's very easy to get to the stadium. Uh, you're not really waiting a long time, and you know, in traffic and stuff, you know. Basically, just go off 95 south. Well, for me, it's 95, uh, 95 south, and um, it's way down in Chester, right? Yeah, it's down in Chester, um, and it's it's it re- it's a really nice, you know, small stadium. Um, as far as as far as access to to the players and to the coach, it's it's uh, you know, you I mean, they they even ask you when you're going into the locker room into the into the men's locker rooms, like you know, who do you want to talk to? And uh, you know, they're always very nice. Um, uh, the coach, actually, this time it's funny you say that about Bruce. You know, you know about the the atmosphere over there at the Galaxy, where you know only certain you know people can ask the coach. You know, like he'll like he'll call you know people from you know big newspapers and stuff like that. They they did that this time. You know, uh, they, I mean, they asked somebody from like the Philly, like the you know the, the big Philly newspapers and stuff like that. Uh, but normally it's not like that. I mean, you, you do have access you know, to the coach. You can ask questions. Um, I actually kept my mouth shut this time because, um, and I think I posted it in the chat in the in our private chat. But uh, in in the press conference, uh, obviously Philadelphia's top of you know top of the uh, the uh, what is it top of the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. Right and, now, yeah. 
Yeah, so I mean they're they're tied with another team. I I forget who. Um, and they're tied with Montreal, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're tied. They're tied with Montreal. Well, hold on, I'm trying to see where it. Let me see. Let me see. All right, this is yeah. This this one thing that really caught my eye because, um, obviously, the game that you know Philadelphia won, uh, the game three nothing, um. And, you know, one of the first things that the coach says was that, you know, he's not happy. Uh, he said that he said, look, we talked, um, let me see, I'm, I'm trying to find my notes here. What, what did he, what he said? Um, well, what you posted, he wants, he wants three guys to crash the box. Yeah, before day. I get, yeah, before I get to that, before I get oh. to that, hold on. Wait, wait, hang oh. on, hang on. Oh, wait, I think you're mad. It's time for Ronnie's rant. Ronnie's <laughs> I don't know what we're yelling about. <laughs> All right, he basically came out and said, "Look, uh, I just talked to the guys, and in some ways, obviously, it's great to get a shutout at home. Still, wasn't happy with the performance. I think we can play better. I think we can be cleaner with our passes because I've seen it in training. Um, so." Obviously, what he was trying to do is he was trying to set the tone that you know they're not being complacent like in you know previous years, and he even acknowledged that you know it's like look, I know that we're better right now than we were last year, but that's not saying much because we were horrible last year. Um, but bad last year. yeah, but one of the you know one of the Didn't things you that the coach fired. Well, like no. Well, one of the questions I asked, and in fact, the press officers didn't even like the fact that I asked him this. Uh, I, I, you know, I got you know Hacksworth to admit that he was under, you know, you know, under pressure, right? You know, and in at the the dude did get, you know, he kind of under pressure because it's only worth a hack. No, but anyhow, uh, one of the things that he said, you know, Jim uh, Jim Curtin, the the coach of Philadelphia Union, he says, you know, we talked all preseason about getting three guys running hard in the box at the same time. A real commitment to get in the box on crosses, and I thought we saw that today. There was an aggressive nature, and that and I can't like and, and I didn't ask you know I did like I said I didn't ask the question because I didn't want to look like like you know I didn't want to sound like a jerk off because obviously they're you know two they've got two wins one loss they're top of the standing so so um. But the thing, the thing about it is, I I predict that it's not, it's still going to be the same for the Philadelphia Union because I mean, if all you're going to do is just send three guys into the box, crash the box, and just send and send a, a, a cross, it's like that's so predictable. You know that is uh, interesting that you say that, and, and honestly, you know, uh, prior to going to this FC Dallas game, every time I've you know covered an MLS game, whether I'm in a TV truck or if I've gone to the stands. That's the style of play that you see. I mean, it's just you know, go down, they attack down the sides, and the guy will send a, uh, you know, they'll send a cross in, and sometimes he looks up to see where his guys are. Most of the time, he doesn't, and then just hope and pray that that somehow, some way, someone's going to get on the other end of it and 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 then stick it in the back of the net. Now, FC yeah. Dallas, on the other hand, you know, the the strength of their team is they have a fantastic midfield. They got. Uh-huh. Uh, this uh, Fabian Castillo guy, they got uh, the guy that scored the goal, uh, whose name is uh, eluding me at the moment. They have a Mexican guy, Ulloa. They have uh, 
it's a guy from Argentina. But anyway, but 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 with, I mean, they they will attack you every every which way. They will, you know, they will shoot from outside the box. They'll go down and they'll send crosses in. I mean, they they play soccer. They play a very very entertaining, visually enticing brand of soccer. And it makes me it makes me wonder why other MLS sides, you know, maybe if FC Dallas. If, if they managed to, they lost in the uh, quarter in the semifinals last year. If they managed to make it to MLS Cup and maybe even win it, maybe we can start seeing uh, more of that influence among other MLS sides. Because I, because I do think that it's, you know, that especially in MLS, I think that's something. That well, FC Dallas is, uh, yeah, no, they're they're, a, they're sort of a particular case, like you said, the way they play, the way they they approach the games, their philosophy. And that's probably down to a couple of things because their sporting director is, I think it's uh, Fernando Clavijo, if I'm not mistaken. Right, and actually there was a dude from, because they have a Dallas Cup going on right now, Juan. And, that's right. And, Dallas. and that was a guy from the Mexican national team. And I knew he was from the, I know he was wearing the jacket, but he was a dead giveaway because the dude, you could smell him, you know, 10 miles away because of all the cologne he was wearing. So I knew he was actually from Mexico. <laughs> but, uh, no, but it's... Uh, is it not? Go ahead, Juan. One of the interesting things about FC uh, or whatever are they FC Dallas or Dallas FC? Uh, FC Dallas. But don't they have the the highest? Yeah, they they have the highest well, rate of, of players that they've actually developed themselves playing for their team. Is that what you were trying to say? Like they have more players that have come up through the ranks than anybody else. Yeah, and I'll tell you another thing about FC Dallas. <laughs> their goalie, who's actually Mexico's uh, U20 goalie, Jesse Gonzalez, the dude is good. And he and he is dirt. He's available dirt cheap. So if there's a team in Mexico that needs a goalkeeper, I would definitely turn my eye toward this kid. Cause yeah, that's probably going to be his next step. To be honest, he's probably going to have to slide down to Mexico. Um, I but uh, what you were saying before is they they do have a tremendous. I think one of the best academies in MLS. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, their under 16s yesterday beat the. Mexican under-17 national team in the Dallas Cup. Um, but, but like anything, you know, the, the issues with developing players and, and uh, the whole, run the whole gamut here in America is it's it's a different animal. And uh, if anything, FC Dallas could be sort of that beacon of light and maybe show other teams how to run their academies. I know that the Red Bulls here in New York have, have made a really, really intense investment into their academy, and, and they have... Uh, they have a couple of players that are on, on, on the first team that came from the academy. One of them just uh, got sold uh, or transferred to Manchester United, uh, Matthew Olisande, who was part of the U.S. national team at the Under-17 World Cup. So there, are, there is movement, there is progress, but, you know, I feel like, you know, Rome wasn't built in one day kind of thing here with, uh, with the Bobbin system. But, but FC Dallas does definitely have uh, – they're, they're definitely the standard bearers, I think, as of right now. You're right. It's it's going to take time, and I think that one thing that that I think all of us will agree on is is that MLS, you know, they can't just rely on the colleges uh, to feed the players because I mean those kids are going to come from the elite camps and the elite teams, et cetera, we, or the the club team, whatever it is, the selects, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Where you have, to, I mean, Juan will tell us. Yeah, but you have to pump a bunch of money uh, in, into that if you want your kid to go through their ranks. It seems like FC Dallas and some of these other teams are starting to plug kids. Not necessarily from those select schools, you know, maybe kids that don't have the financial backing that others might. And it seems like, you know, if if, if other teams can start tapping into that, then I, th- I think we'll start seeing uh, MLS 
you know, they want to say they want to be one of the the best leagues by 2022. They need to push that out to like 2032, 2042. It's gonna take it's gonna take a while. It's not gonna be in five years. It's just not. It's just not gonna happen. Anybody else have any other MLS uh, thoughts, questions before we um, before we move on? You know, I just want to say that I don't think the Liga favors Giovanni Dos Santos at all. Just his style. And the reason I bring this up is uh, there's a kid on one of my kids' teams that he has a, a similar body type as far as, uh, you know, that, uh, what's that called? The, the type 2 muscle fibers uh, for the explosiveness. And uh, he suffers the similar injuries that Giovanni suffers a lot. And I think this league, because it doesn't have any pausa, like it's, you know, it's constantly uh, like 100 miles per hour. Yeah, very vertical. Yeah, it's very vertical. It's, uh, you know, it's, you're going to have Giovanni getting hurt a lot. And, and for example, the Galaxy, like, they have three injured players in, like, three games, I think. Giovanni's listening to us right now. He's having the kibosh on one signal. Now, uh, one of the things that we talked about last week, uh, Christian, you were with us last week. That's right. But it, was, it was a topic that, that, that Joel wanted us to address. This week, and, it's, and I think it's something that's that that is very a very interesting topic, especially when it comes to the national team. And 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 Joel, I don't know. I, I see that you're on. I don't know if you're going to be able to listen to us or not. But uh, I do see that you're on. I see that you're. On. I'm, I'm here, John. He's making. Hey, there's Joel. And one of the topics that we wanted to talk about was how is Mexico going to handle the generational change from this group of players that are going to be either at their peak or on the downside of their peak going into Russia 2018, who is going to well, take the mantle from them? If you don't mind me going first, I'll, I'll take a crack at it. I, I've sort of alluded to this before, but I, I do feel like the generational change, for the most part, already took place over the past two years. Not, 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 uh, not in every position, obviously, but um, I feel like at least the core of the team will be together – for yet another World Cup after 2018, I think that um, will be well covered in that sense. I mean, as far as uh, – I think one of the biggest worries, at least for me as a fan, was after, in 2012 when we saw what the Olympic team did. Um, and obviously without getting too ahead of myself, you know, you sort of think about what the next four years are going to bring and what the next Olympic team is going to be like um, – I felt like the 2012, Olympic, the 2012 Olympic team had a really good balance of, of talent and projection and and uh, and even players that we kind of knew were not going to be full national team players. Like, for example, you know, Darwin Chavez. Um, you know, and, and, and if you look at some of the guys that, that were sort of standouts in that team, uh, all of them have pretty much transitioned more or less to the senior national team. You know, Marco Fabian, Herrera, um, uh, uh, Diego Reyes, even a guy like Nestor Araujo is now sort of coming back around into the picture. Uh, Israel Jimenez was a guy that I wasn't fully sure could make that transition, even to the professional level, but he's done it really well. So if you look at those guys now, and now you look at you know uh, what the current team, what, what it is now, uh, if you look at the right backs, for example, obviously Paul Aguilar is, is hands down the best. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that, you know? Uh, but if he was not available, I don't think that Israel Jimenez would be that much of a drop-off quality-wise, both offensively and defensively, you know. 
uh, I, I feel like Nestor Araujo has also quietly sort of put himself back in the map, and, and I'm glad Osorio has, you know, sort of kept his eyes on him and actually included him <laughs> in, this, in this roster that we have now. Uh, as far as as far as the, the actual the, the actual generational change, I mean, we're looking at players like uh, Guardado, who's probably going to be exiting the picture. He's going to be 31. Uh, maybe Hector Moreno after this World Cup won't be. Uh, well, the, the standard guy in the defense, but you know there are guys that are coming up behind. You know, Salcedo. Guardado's going to be 31. Morenos and Chicharito and Giovanni and Vela and all those guys—they're going to be 28, 29. Yeah, yeah, and and you know I think like uh, what we've seen. I mean, for the most part, this 2014 World Cup cycle was Vela less. We just didn't have him around, and even going forward, I mean, I don't. I'm a huge fan of Carlos Vela. He's by, by far my favorite player uh, from that generation uh, as far as, you know, ability and skill goes. But, you know, we were pretty much accustomed to the idea of not having him around. So I'm not entirely sure that, I mean, if, you know, I'm not sure that's going to be a huge drop-off. The, the, the only issue, I think, is is the, the, the mold of the players that are coming up, the uh, kind of like what – what do they bring into the table? You know, there's a lot of guys that are coming up that are very, very skillful and very direct, but maybe we don't have that same sort of Vela qualities where guys that can sort of slow things down and, and, and be offensively a playmaker and a guy that can score goals. So, but I also feel like, honestly, you know, I feel like those questions will answer themselves. And, and if nothing else, we can look forward to guys coming up through the ranks that are not really part of the picture right now. Much like, you know, Herrera did. Hey, you know, is, trophies, is trophies on the radar you know, now? Trophies? He should be. I think he should be. Trophies? Yeah. I thought it was La Trophies. La Trophies? La Trophies. La Trophies. Los No, because, no, I'm just, I'm just trying to take a jab at Holy because it always happens. There's a player from Chivas that has an outstanding game. From where? And the next thing you know, Boom! The press is all over. I'm like, he's the next star. Yeah, that's true. I feel I like mean, it, it, it happened to it, had, it happened to what's his name? Uh, uh, Marco Fabian. Fabian. What's his name? Jair Garcia. What's his name? Jesus. It happened to Misael Espinosa. No, no, Jair, Jair. Jair Yeah. Jair Pereira. Yeah, it, happened to, it happened. Now, I remember Hoya used to love Eduardo Isella. You know, he 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 wanted that. Uh, <laughs> 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 Do you remember that Hoya? He was good at discipline. Yeah, he had he discipline also, problems. He he actually got called into the national team when uh, when Mesa was the coach, and in uh, one of the first practices, he got into a fight. Fisticuffs. Oh, that's, that's, well, didn't you also want Roberto Nurse? On Ch- in Chile? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about Melvin Brown? Uh, Melvin Brown, yeah, we already we already saw the quarter. I think we've gotten off topic though. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. Okay, so uh, no, now Joel, you were very concerned last week about. You know, it, it's something that we see every four years. Yeah. It seems like, you know, they, they, they have like a like a two or three year project. <laughs> and then after that, I mean, and especially this one, because like we mentioned, there's a bunch of dudes that are going to be between 28 and 31. So this is it. This is, their, I mean, you, we don't want to rely on these guys anymore. You know, 
That's right, John. And you need that new crop of players that that are gonna challenge some of the players that that become the inamovibles. Now, do you think the way the way we saw Torrado and some of these other guys, huh? Now, it's funny you mentioned Torrado because I don't know how many times people just trashed Torrado and, and Israel Castro like four or five years ago when they were playing for Chepo. I'm but, guilty of that. And, and, and I watched, uh, I saw them at the Gold Cup three times uh, when they played in 2011. And those guys, you know what, they may not have been the most skilled, but the communication level that they had with the rest of the team was, was unmatched. They had that team running, I mean, it, it, it was impressive. They were constantly pointing and yelling and pointing and yelling and telling where to pass and where not to pass, telling a guy where to move. And I was I was thinking about that when I was watching the MLS game. You know, as good as Dallas's midfield is, I mean, it seems like I mean, granted, I couldn't hear what was being said because I was in the cozy confines of the press box, but there was no pointing. There was I just it seemed like the communication was uh, was very limited. Now, in looking at the list of the of the la lista de convocados that that, that was released, there were quite a few. Excuse me. Quite a few youngsters that uh, that did get called up. So maybe we're starting to see, or maybe Osorio is starting to recognize. You know what? I can't really rely on all these guys because, you know, as 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 good a team and the fact that we actually do have a pretty decent uh, spine for this team, we need to start finding the replacements for those guys. So we did call up. He called up Irvin Lozano. Orbelin. Up, uh, Orbelin Pineda. He called up uh, the Rodolfo Pizarro. Pizarro, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, well, that was not really a youngster, but but you know he's at that age too. You know, Diego uh, Reyes to me is a son. You know, he's you know he's still in his early twenties. Candido Ramirez, you know, he's only twenty-two. So there are some young. <laughs> Tecatito is pretty there, young. There is, but but it's still it's still very few compared to the big teams. That those are the teams we have to compete against. If we want to win something of significance, so if you look like if you look at Liga MX, I think the only top scorer is uh, Mexican. Oribe, no? Yeah. It's Oribe, and, and there's there's really none, no one else. So the majority. Well, I I, well, I know. You know I, got a I, you got like five or six goals too. So. Now here, the thing is, I'm not a. I, you know, Christians, I think a little bit more optimistic than I am regarding the transition, because I mean, we can talk about Chucky Lozano, we can talk about all these guys, but they really haven't been the backbone. They haven't done anything really to win Mexico, you know, silverware or you know the gold cup or you know they haven't taken the team on their shoulders and stuff. It's still you know the guys that are you know in their prime. They have, they have less than five. Caps. I mean, that, yeah, that's what I say. They don't. They don't need to be but that they, important they at can, this point. I mean, well, no, be, no, well, not necessarily true because I mean, you knew that Rafa Marquez was. He got the kept shit. at seventeen. Exactly. You knew. You know. You knew Torrado was good. You know, young. You knew that Rafa Marquez was good, young. You knew that Pavel Pardo was good, very young. You knew that Cuauhtémoc was good, very young. Guardado got know, taken straight. And that's about the caps now, though. They're but, not. They're being systematic about the the whole process. So, like, remember that's the reason you're getting this crop of players uh, playing together since they're U15 because you know Nestor went in there and regardless of his job at Chivas, you know, at the national team level, he he organized the teams. He said, hey, you know what? By the time these guys hit the first team, they've got 100, 200, up to 300 caps. So I think you know at 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 each particular age level that they've been at, they have been contributing. I mean, maybe. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, but you know, maybe, maybe the some of them. The problem with that is, is, a, is, a, is that 
you know, they might get capped to play in the national team. They necessarily mean that they're, you know, and then this is something that, that frustrates me with the Olympic team is that, okay, so you have this these guys that you've been playing for the Olympic team, but they haven't been doing dick for their club team. So what's well, the yeah, that, that's 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 mostly on you know that's mostly on on the Olympic coach, which is a, I think it's there's some legitimate gripes there because I feel like Potro does have like this weird sort of. Um, he 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 sticks to his guys too much, you know. And there are players that have been sort of coming up out of you know rising up, you know. And and the guys that should be getting like looks, like uh, for example, the kid from Atlas, uh, Garnica, has been playing really well the last couple of games. A guy that fits into that age group, Lachofis, you know, these are guys that haven't really gotten a lot of looks. And you 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 know you get a. Uh, Daniel Alvarez, who was okay last year for Atlas, but I was fully expecting much from Monterrey. He didn't get called up. You know, Marco Bueno. You know, I, 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 well, I think that we have to, you have to look at it like you know, like uh, uh, they, you know, the, the goal scorers. Yeah, Holy Holy's got a point there. You know, we don't have a lot of goal scorers that are coming up, and I feel like that's not only a problem for Mexico; it's a problem for pretty much a lot of teams. You know, uh, but if we look at the midfield or the wide forwards or the wide sort of extremos, there's a lot of interesting players, and I and I don't want to be too adventurous. I mean, Ronnie says I'm a little more optimistic, I, I, and I and I will co- completely cop to that. But but I do feel that it's these guys that are coming up that will push the older players if they're given a chance. You know, the thing with Chepo was that Chepo was too slow to make that transition, and then when he tried to make the transition, it was pretty much it, it was just too much pressure, and, and it's not an environment that's conducive for the younger players to to be that uh, that sort of that push that's gonna that, that's gonna compete with the with the older players. I mean, I feel like what Osorio is doing now is 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 that's kind of how you bring them in. You bring a couple in at a time and and test them out. And I feel like if you look at the Senegal game, uh, Pizarro had a good showing. I don't think Osama had a very good game. Um, he had a better game than Jurgen Dam, but but you know at the end of the day, I mean, he, I think he did enough to maybe get you know warrant another call, which he did. Uh, people were talking about Candido Ramirez and how he didn't deserve and this and that. And uh, if you look at Monterrey, Candido doesn't start the league games for the most part, but he's usually the first sub off the bench, and he's been starting the Copa MX games, so he's been playing. And there's a certain thing that Osorio likes about him. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, we don't really know how these guys are going to pan out. But, you know, if, like you guys were mentioning Rafa Marquez. Okay, Rafa Marquez got capped at a very young age. But how much time went by before we saw uh, teenagers get capped on the, on the national team at, at that level? I think, what, uh, eight years before? Uh, are we talking about Gio and Vela getting capped uh, when they were 18, 19? You know, so it's it, – I feel like those are exceptions to the rule. And, no, I don't, I don't think they got capped uh, early on because, remember – uh, Ugo was trying to bring him into the mix, and uh, Ugo brought him in in twenty eight in two thousand eight against the U S. That's right, that's their debut. Yeah, Gio and Vela, and actually for the U S. it was Freddie Adu and Josie Adler also got their 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 caps, I think, in that game. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those. They, they weren't fixtures on the team because uh, they had to go back to the youth teams with. Uh, that's right. My I issue mean, with Nestor's yeah. plan is uh, okay. It's great. It's great that Nestor said, "Hey, I want to have Mexican coaches at the youth level." That's great. Is I want them to play as many tournaments as possible, and they play together. That's great. That's great. However, you know, if that if those are the only games they get in the year, then one then that's not good. And I think that we saw that when the 14-year-olds that the Nestor really like the whole laboratory with his plan. 
in 2009, whatever it was. Okay, they were 19 when they played the last uh, the, the U20 World Cup in New Zealand, and they went three and out. And they, With, they, uh, they, they were the first, the first graduates of the, of the whole Nestor plan. And my issue, my issue with Nestor, I think it's great that Nestor has that plan, but he has to, yeah, but he has to involve the clubs with that too. The clubs have to hey, be involved because otherwise he's going to play. I think that got abandoned long ago. Well, regardless of whether it's abandoned or not, it's uh, it's just it's just very discouraging. I think it, no, but see, I don't think it has Hoyle because Mexico. On, on, on the youth level, they play in tournaments all over the world, and and it's great that they do. Don't get me wrong, but my issue my issue with the whole plan is okay. So you got the 17 year old that's playing all these games, and then he comes back and he barely plays for his club, if at all. You know, maybe he'll play in a U20 game here and there. And but it just and it seems like if you if you're not somebody's cousin or if you're not somebody you know if you're not the, the compadre's kid, then you're not going to get picked. But so, but the coaching the coaching also the way they were going about the coaching changed. After he left, so even if that team went three and zero, some of the stuff was being done differently by that point when uh, Inerato was had taken over. That that was one of the issues in the interview he had. He said that the clubs they were not playing the players, but I think if if like uh, just going back to Chivas with their U17 squad where they had Pato Araujo, they had Chori Mejia, and you know Chepo at the time he was a coach and. Pato kept getting called up, even though he was already a, a starter for the first team. And so eventually, once he stopped getting the youth call-ups, uh, uh, he lost his spot to Chori Mejia. You know, and I think that probably stunned his development, even though he was he was one of the guys on the 2006 uh, uh, championship for Chivas. And, and that's why, like, when I see fans criticize the manager for not calling up a guy who, who's already on a first team, you know, they're and they're getting put in a mid, they're like a, they're important figure. You know, I always I just scratch my head. And I wonder, like, what's more important? This guy right. to cons- consolidate himself. Go ahead, John. Sorry. No, you're exactly right. I mean, I look, I look at that kid that and uh, in Monterrey, that Cesar Montes kid. That dude is terrific. He should be called up for the national, the the, the big team, the senior team now. I mean, I he agree. is that good. He is a really, and and both uh, of Gutierrez like, ah, eh, you know what? He's he's done fitting my plans. It's like. Well, you know why? Sort of the luxury of of having a guy like that. Not well, that's a, he's been working with with. Jordan Silva, Carlos Alcedo. Well, that's uh, great. You know, like Antonio Riseño for so long that he's not willing to to sort of part with them, and that's the that's exactly the problem because you know four years ago, then I was like, well, yeah, I grew, you know, I worked with these guys in the Pan American Games, and then he then he moved some of them aside. You know, one of them being you know Conjito Brizuela I was like, okay, you know, this guy's not really giving what I need. Aquino kind of overtook him a little bit, and then you know he brought in Hector Herrera. You know, like, he was more open to, you know, the players that were coming up because it's a very interesting age where guys can have a great trimester and then drop off completely for another year. And if you're going to stick with those guys, I don't see how that's a benefit. It's, it's more of anything, it's a detriment, you know. And Potro doesn't seem to have that flexibility. And, and, and I mean, I feel like, you know, we, 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 we touched on this two weeks ago, the whole thing with the Twitter, the, the, the whole Twitter thing. It's like, I think that... I mean, I don't want to make a judgment on the guy. I don't personally know him, but I think that says a lot about him in that sense, that he, if he's willing to engage fans on Twitter and social media in such a such a pedantic way, I mean, imagine the way that he, he deals with the players, you know? I mean, it's... Yeah. You're, you're yeah, I think when, once, you know, once you get enough... Uh, and 
different things from Ronnie, you get to a point where you just have to, you, you snap, man. You got to respond. So I don't blame, <laughs> I don't blame Podro. I don't know, man. I, I feel like whatever. It was unprofessional. I mean, I mean, I, I don't I have with John, though. I mean, Montes should have been on the national team. Yeah, absolutely. I have an issue with guys not not picking guys who were uh, who were uh, available and who were eligible and who were killing it, and because you know the coach is like, well, I already got this. You know, he's got you got uh, the Briseño. Who Tuca doesn't even play in Copa America's games? I mean, come on! I know, it's I know. It's, and, and even even his, you know, his his style of play is just. I mean, it can pretty be. You can pretty much sum it up by by uh, his play versus Greece in the 2013 Under 20 World Cup, uh, where we ended up losing a game. Uh, he got spun around like like a complete amateur, and then that's when we gave up the game winning goal. I don't see a lot of improvement in his play. I don't. I really don't think he's a national team caliber. Game, kind of he didn't play much. I don't know. Yeah, I don't see it. Now, speaking of uh, <clears throat> national team calls, I think that it was very interesting today, and this is something that I wanted to bring up. Where uh, and that's something we talked about earlier on our on our on our G-rated chat that we have. I'm not part of the R-rated or X-rated chats that you guys do. I don't. I don't want any part of that. Yeah. I don't want any part of that at all. But anyway, hey, you know, Beto's the most vocal there. By the way, you'd be surprised. Surprising to me. Really? <laughs> that is interesting. But anyway, so what happened earlier today was that there was a report talking about how Oribe Peralta, and of course, as the day moved on, the, the story did evolve, but it started out by him saying that he did not want to get, it's not that he asked not to be called, he said he doesn't want to get called, and it's like, don't call me up, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to be a part of it. And of course, the uh, the first thing was, well, it's because I, don't, I feel like the coach doesn't rate me. And then it turned into, well, I was I'm a little tired because of the way I've been playing. I'm only, you know, we have a guy hurt, so it's just been me. So I'd want to take some time to, you know, it's Semana Santa. I want to take some time for you know, the vacation. I planned a vacation with my family. Of course, you know, didn't look at the map, the the calendar, but whatever. And, uh, and then by the end of the day, of course, Santiago Baño said, you know what, we talked with Oribe and it's okay because we know what he can bring, etc. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so. Right now, all of our Mexico's top goal scorers, the ones that are on the team, that no one's scored in a month. Uh, Raul Jimenez hasn't scored. Chicharito hasn't scored in four games. Tecatito scored once in the past six weeks. There haven't been, you know, Marco Fabian hasn't even scored a goal since he's been in the Bundesliga. Lalo Herrera? Has Lalo Herrera? Lalo Herrera, he misses penalties left and right. Yeah. So, uh... My question is, you know, Oribe Peralta, you know, be, if you don't rate him, it doesn't matter because the dude score goals. And, and here's my thing. And people say, well, why isn't the press attacking Oribe Peralta the way that they attacked Carlos Vela when he said no? Well, the, here's the huge Golden child. Well, here's the huge difference. Is that Oribe Peralta, in my opinion, has earned the right to say no because of everything he has done for the national team since 2011 on. The goals, the, 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 the amount of goals he scored, the amount of important goals he scored. The huge goals he scored for the national team. Carlos Vela, on the other hand, how, how old will he be? Oribe, I I'm think sorry, he's John. thirty now. I think he's thirty or thirty-one right now. Thirty-one, yeah. Actually, thirty-two. Yeah. No? Well, I'm not sure. He's a thirty-one or thirty-two. I want to cut him up and count the rings, but I'm not. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's, so it's uh, January 12, 84, So he's thirty-two and. 
by you know the time Russia rolls around, well, that's what two more years. He'll be 34. But you know what? That's fine. I have no I have no issue with that. Remember, Ricardo Pelaez was 34 when he played in France, and that dude scored probably the biggest goals in Mexico's World Cup history. You know, just well, it, it, it's pretty clear. It's goals. it's really uh, it's pretty clear why Osorio doesn't quite rate Oribe. And I and I and in a way, I, it's just weird, but I kind of agree with him. Oribe has a tendency to draw. He 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 commits a lot of fouls um, because physically, you know, he's not. You know, he's going up against guys that are bigger than him. But you know, he's he's very aggressive in a lot of ways. And and uh, and unfortunately for him, it you know a lot of these little ticky tacky fouls sort of go against him a lot. And I think that. Um, Osorio well, doesn't like when you when... dated ten because she has a pimple on her neck. Come on. Well, I mean, I know it's a little it's a little weird. I understand. I, I just uh, I think that Osorio wants someone that's gonna if he's gonna be the number nine, he wants him to compete physically at given times and win those battles. Oribe's not gonna win them. But at the end of the day, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I don't really care if he wins or doesn't win those battles. I care about the fact that he puts the ball in the back of the net. I mean, that's what win you know, that's I what's mean, gonna win your games. I don't care if Lalo Herrera wins all the headers and all the physical battles, and when it comes down to it, he'll scuff the shot, you know. Man, Lalo Herrera scares the hell out of me because, I mean, I've, I've been watching – I watched his game last week in the Libertadores, and he had two – you know, I wish Pern was here because maybe I should say La Volpe three times. This <laughs> Don't summon him. But uh, <laughs> use the La Volpe charm. But he missed what I – you know, I, I hate bagging on guys because I just – it's not my style. But if you're missing an open net, I mean, you can't help to. And, and the problem is, is that he panics. You know, he just doesn't have that. He doesn't have that serenidad to just, you know, just calm down and go. You know what? I just need. I just need to just, just, just tap it over here to the left because there's nobody there, and I can just roll it into the net. You know, guys that well, when 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 they see what's in front of them, they, they know that they don't have to just kill it. And that was, you know, one of the things <clears> I liked about Bofo too is that he just. And I remember that 2007 Gold Cup when he had the chance to tie the game at the end. He tried to hit it as hard as he can. All he had to do was just tap it to the side, either side of Howard. It would have gone in. And Herrera's like that. He he panics at the, you know, he might win all the headers and do all these great things, but he needs strikers need to be the guys that that, that have to score a goal with one touch. And he just doesn't have that. And then it just and and Oribe does. Oribe scores. He's like Chicharito. He'll score however it takes. And the, the the fact that that Osorio doesn't rate that to me is just yeah, it's a little troubling. It's, it's uh, it was, Osorio seems to think that he can he can sort of close that gap with with uh, Herrera, Guardado, Tecatito, Lozano, you know, Chicharito. You know, uh, Holly's right. I mean, you know, we we had sort of a an after a post uh, podcast chat maybe like uh, three or four weeks ago, and. Um, we were just kind of talking about the players and, and whatever, whatever. And, and Hoyle was just like, yeah, but where are the goals going to come from? And, and at the end of the day, he's absolutely right, you know. But but it seems like Osorio thinks that, you know, with with Guardado and Herrera sort of crashing a box and, and Tecatito and Lozano and all these other players, we're sort of just going to score goals. And, I mean, that's a nice start and all, but, but at the end of the day, I mean, leaving aside a guy, I mean, whether or not he wants to come or not, you know, if you don't rate him because he doesn't give you these extra wise variables, it's it's just like, come on, man. Like, uh, we need to score goals. That's what wins those games. You know, I, I just You're right. I don't You're want to make sense right. of it. It doesn't really make no sense to me. We're all going to get late. <laughs> <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> no respect. No respect. You're absolutely I right. I get no respect. 
It's, uh, <laughs> my mother never breastfed me. She said she only liked me as a friend. <laughs> I love Danger Souls. Oh, yeah. So, I love Danger. You well, know, just to chime in, though, John, I, I, I do have a question. Yeah, go ahead, Danny. Daniel, please, please. Yeah, just just to play the other side, uh, I, I think so far he's been perfect. Um, let the guy do his thing. You know, we've been uh, clear. I think he's. I personally think he's keeping in mind the opposition that it is somewhat weaker. So he is, I think on some level he is going to be half experimenting um, with the lineups. And I think even going back to his uh, previous teams, that's something he was always notorious for was that he wasn't really, no one ever really knew who was going to be the starting, who's going to be in the starting 11. So that's just something that he's going to be doing. I think it's his style. I know it's, it's a, if anything, he's he's proving to be really unorthodox. Uh, he started with the Lyon thing, and then like I mean, now we're seeing um, we're seeing Moreno on, on on the left. I think it's just part of his his persona and part of his uh, you know weird uh, idiosyncrasy where he's just he's got his idea of what he needs to do to in order for his uh, vision of the game. The bad to, thing for Osorio is that he has is all from the from the the first minute of the first press conference. The press was against. Him. For whatever reason, I'm not sure. Well, that and I think also part of the issue is that, and we may not know exactly how he means it, uh, but by him saying though that he's always going to go in there with the intention of winning, and then he fields a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of center backs all over all over the field. So I think the the media kind of latches onto that. I personally don't have an issue with it. I mean, if 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 we if he suits up a bunch of center backs and we win, then then obviously his strategy worked. Sure. No, you're. I mean, but like I said, is is, is it his 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 gray <laughs> area is between winning and losing is extremely thin. So the tell you that the and it's gonna I don't know if it's gonna happen here. It's gonna definitely happen in Copa America. There will be a loss in Copa America, whether it's. In the oh, yeah. first round, and you know that we're definitely in the knockouts. Uh, I mean, I don't, you know, I'd like to see Mexico as far as possible, but, but, but the the, the press is they're just it, 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 it's going to get ugly, man. They've and they from the from the first minute of the first press conference, and I'm not sure why that is. I don't know if they thought that well, who is this guy trying to show us about? Well, I mean, you you on. you kind of you kind of nailed it on the head. I mean, the moment that he stepped into the to the job, I mean. Uh, it, he wasn't what people expected, you know, and I think he's pretty much a victim of expectations amongst the media and the fans. Um, but, you know, Dan's right. I mean, he's done a pretty good job so far, so he kind of he's earning a little bit of the benefit of the doubt as, as every game goes along. Uh, even last night he was being grilled about not bringing Oliva in, and then, you know, today the, the news broke out that, you know, there was some issues with Oliva. He doesn't feel like he's rated by the coach, doesn't want to come. He kind of opts out. It doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, Osorio has to answer for this stuff, whether or not he wants to, whether or not he's responsible for this. He, they're going to gun for him, and I think that you're absolutely right. The moment that Mexico does lose a game, which is going to happen, we know that. I mean, Chepo won, what, 10, 10 games undefeated, 11 games? and uh, Yeah, think about 11 or 12 games, including the Gold Cup since he took over. And eventually, people just started turning on. That's just what we do, and that's what's going to happen. You know, we just. But one thing uh, we may not be considering, though, and, and not that it matters, but I don't think uh, Osorio cares much or anything. Because I think personally, just judging by the, the the types of players that he's calling, like the the the, the young players that he's calling, 
I don't think he's saying that the teams are weak that he's playing against, but I think he's saying that they're that good and that, and I think he's confident in himself and in his system that he's not sweating it. I think if it was a, a, a must win, we'd be seeing a different set of players being called. Okay, and probably so. a different set of players actually playing. I think like, you know, like the, the what he did in, in Honduras and, and, and even, um, against El Salvador, I, I still think like we're going to continually see this evolving national team with, 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 with Osorio. Go ahead. No, 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 no I'm, 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 I'm keenly interested in what you're saying. Oh, no, well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done. <laughs> On that note. Well, you know, it's funny. I do have, uh, you know, people, again, Carlos Vela wasn't called. And, of course, you know, because he doesn't speak to the press very often, people were wondering, oh, my God, what are the reasons? It was because of this. It was because of that. You know, he obviously doesn't want to be coming to Mexico. But I do have a quote from him, so I want to go ahead and play it from you all. Let's see what you think. Carlos, ¿hasta qué punto te ha dolido que la Real Sociedad haya pedido a Osorio que no fueras con la tricolor? Incluso se ha especulado que esto entraba dentro del pack del castigo. ¿Qué opinas de todo esto? No, no, para nada, porque antes de, de que pasara esto ya, ya estaba hablado, ya habían hablado conmigo de la Real y, y me comentaron que iban a estar por México Lore, que iba a hablar con la federación y si ellos aceptaban pues yo les dije que yo estoy a disposición de los dos lados, que si ellos llegaban a un acuerdo, yo estaba igualmente feliz en los dos y que decidieran ellos, que ya no era un tema mío. Yo estoy a disposición de lo que ellos mandaran y en este caso fue quedarme, pero te lo aseguro que no fue por ni por castigo ni por temas, algo porque pasó antes de que, de que todo pasara. Así que una cosa más de que ves como no siempre todo lo que se dice es verdad. So there you have it, Carlos Vela saying that, hey, this, uh, this agreement happened before my, my little uh, Chris Brown concert incident that I had and then I lied about, which, of course, he, uh, throughout the press conference, uh, excused himself and, and he admitted to culpability the whole bit. And it was just kind of a weird press conference. I mean, he just, I mean what he said, the, 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 the tone of it, was that he just wants to be left alone. He just wants to live as normal a life as possible. And it, and it seems like... You know, especially uh, at least in this side of the world, you know, and any time that there's any kind of, you know, call up or non-call up with him, they're just, you know, they're just people are just constantly trying to find reasons, and no one ever seems to find it. And he also said he wants to play in Mexico, which I thought was very interesting. So, so uh, Joel, do you think that, that Carlos Vela will, uh, will will be accepted back to uh, to Guadalajara? <laughs> I don't think they could afford him. No. His wages. Or do you think uh, MLS is where he's going to end up? Yeah, I think the uh, I think the the lifestyle he could get in the U.S. You know, he probably follows uh, Gio on Instagram, sees his pictures with uh, with Kobe and other sports stars. Figures he could do the same. So I guess my my, my question was uh, originally, should we expect Oribe to get trashed in the press the way that Vela was trashed, even though the press never, ever once got any kind of affirmation of Yair, just any kind of comment or anything out of Vela. It was purely, purely speculation. Well, Oribe doesn't speak with a Spanish accent. So? So right off the bat, people are just going to trash on him. Why is that a problem? He's been living in Spain for 12 years. I don't even think uh, he's speaking the Spanish accent. Well, me. he's trying to. He's trying to, but come on, who, who are you fooling? 
Um, I don't I don't hear that at all. You don't hear it. Oh, I hear it. Why did that bother you? It doesn't bother me. I'm just saying I thought you were I thought you were a fan of assimilation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I hear the way you speak and automatically I can tell that you live in West Philadelphia. <laughs> but hey, you yeah, got kind of criticized uh, because of his accent, though, right? Oh, he's like, uh, I'm so disappointed that that, that Senator Rahino didn't come on because I, I built a brand new thing for him. I want to play it for y'all. His uh, his, his Perns, you know, X list. You, 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 you cool. That's awesome, man. Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that. <coughs> well, I'm just saying, I mean, they used to attack, you know, Ugo for that. And, you know, I, I just think... You know, it's like it's like this this relationship they have with Osorio. So, you know, they, they trashed the national team left and right. They're going to coach, oh, well, he's not worthy to coach the national team. So which is it, guys? Is the national team good or is it bad? Because... You know, you well, guys, he's still not. Are, I, well, I don't want to say the worthy, but I don't think he still. I, I don't think he. I don't think he had the, the resume to be on uh, to be that, there. That's, that's like I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm racist. <laughs> hey, was he, that, he was in the national the, the federation's first choice, though, was he? Was that? Juan, Juan, you gotta. Uh, can't hear you, dude. I think Juan was asking. He was not. The I, I just heard dolphin speak and clicking sounds. I don't want to sound racist. <laughs> no, I think Juan was yeah, that he wasn't the federation's first choice, and he wasn't. The uh, the 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 local was the first, and then they wanted to get the uh, some Pauli. You know, the, he was like fourth or fifth down the list. And you know what? And and and, and honestly, what on earth has FMF done with the way that they treat coaches to think that any kind of coach with with any kind of decent pedigree is even going to want to consider coaching there because they they fire him at the drop of a hat. Hey, if it works for Real Madrid. You know, uh, was it uh, sometime like, well, this week uh, Brody Campos came with a, you know, he, I guess I forget on Medio Tiempo record, I don't remember which one, but basically he was talking about that he still has the desire to coach, uh, but that unfortunately in Mexico, you know, when they hire a coach, I mean, they're already thinking of ways of getting rid of you. So that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons why he hasn't gone into coaching that, you know, because, he, you know, he, according to him, clubs don't look at things, you know, in long term. So, and, and, and to a certain degree, I mean, to a certain point, he's right. You know, uh, a lot of these players, they don't want to go, they don't want to get into coaching. Because they can get something more stable, you know, they can get uh, you know more job security and stuff. Uh, doing other things, you know, be, be it TV, be it punditry, being you know their own you know personal businesses and stuff. We need to get a, an ex-player on the on the Dos Acero podcast. I think that that's Joel. You need to work on that for us, man. You need to get Mauro Camoranesi on the show. No, let's get Gonzalo Pineda. No, hey, we can, I, I can I can get one. I can get one. Let's do it. Yeah. Are you gonna get, get Melvin? Melvin, are you gonna are you gonna choke on me at our show? 
<laughs> Don't let them get to you too, man. <laughs> Fight it. <laughs> damn you, damn, damn you. <laughs> no, that's terrible. I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry. Me estoy avergonzado. He's like the emperor when I can see him. He's like, yes, good, good. <laughs> like Emperor Palpatine, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, very much so. Through you, yeah. Okay. Well, gentlemen, I think that uh, that, that wraps it up. Wait, gonna... wait, oh, wait, 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 wait. Hang on, hey. hang on, hang on. Fantasy item. What is your major malfunction, num nuts? It's reality check time with Jolie. Those young people are about to get a dose of reality. <laughs> you, you guys didn't let me finish when we were talking about uh, about the Mexico generational change. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for our for you to keep it real. So. So yeah, I wanted to add. We've seen it in the past. Uh, Mexico going into the hex. How much the team has suffered, you know it. It's happened at least three times that most of us got to see it with um, Ojitos when he was a coach. Uh, you know, just recently with Chepo, and then uh, then with in the 2010. Yeah. So, and and it's, uh, one of the main things that has changed now, going going uh, beyond Russia, is that. Liga MX is using now more and more foreigners. So the number of uh, foreign-born players has increased. And and a lot of the owners are looking to push for for about eight, eight Mexicans per team. So, you know, and if that happens, we pretty much know those eight players won't be starters. We're going to be looking at two or three Mexican starters per team. So you're saying out of the 27 on, on, on the team, only eight of them are going to be Mexican. The rest are going to be foreigners. Exactly, yeah. And uh, uh, he was on record, uh, Luis Miguel Salvador from uh, Monterrey. So he was talking about some of the meetings in uh, FMF regarding um, how to improve Liga MX. So, uh, so their belief is that Liga MX is competing against you know, the, the European leagues and Champions League. And so basically their main concern is, is spectacular, you know, to be entertaining. So they're they're saying their best bet is just to bring in foreign talent. And uh, they said they had studies done and that they would be fine with eight Mexican players per team. Wow. That's not very reassuring. <laughs> well, this, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen with that philosophy, and it's and you're happening it now. But you know, kids as opposed to dreaming of you know playing with Chivas, playing with Cruz Azul, playing with America, they're gonna they're gonna want to start dreaming you know of wanting to play for you know Manchester, Barcelona, Real Madrid. But dude, once you start having that sort of invasion of just foreign players, dude, you you lose all identity. I mean, a club loses its, its an identity, and it's and it's sad. I mean, like when Arsenal, you know, went to the Champions League with what zero or what's happening to America now? I, I, it is, and, it, <laughs> and, that, and that, believe it or not, you know, and believe it or not, that pisses me off. 
It should. It would piss me. I mean, it's happening to Pumas too. I mean, I was watching the Libertadores and they, like, three of their, you know, usually when you watch a Pumas game, especially when they bring the, the bring in the, 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 the cambios, it's like usually three canteranos, right? You know, guys that have come up from the system. Oh, he's making his debut. He's 18. Here comes this cat. It was three dudes from Chile I'd never even heard of. It was frustrating. It was like, it was like, I, was like was, I thought they were only allowed to have five foreigners. There's, there's like 18 foreigners on Pumas there. It's awful. It sucks. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? They're using Chivas sort of like as an example. So they're pointing at the club and being like, you see, you can't compete if you're just using uh, Mexican players. But I, I like to counter on that because you, you could see uh, even though the team's not doing that good, they're not the worst team. So you have uh, three or four teams doing worse with the maximum capacity of foreigners. And... uh and you'll see what happens sometimes when when you let a lot of the a lot of the youth players, some of them will develop to be pretty good. Absolutely, you know. And then I want I want to uh, end our podcast tonight with a quote from uh, the the Canada coach Benito uh, Florio, who talked about how hard it is for him to arm his team in Canada and the obstacles that he runs into. Then if if Joel, if what you're talking about could you know, could come to fruition. I think we'll start seeing that here as well. Si en todos los demás países es necesario esperar una camada de futbolistas especiales para lograr algo muy maravilloso. Imagínate en un país donde no hay liga, entonces todos los demás entrenadores han debido tener muchos problemas. Y de cualquier manera aún no hemos conseguido la clasificación por lo menos para el Sabonado, con lo cual tampoco podemos resumir de mucho, ¿no? Pero es cierto que los chicos están trabajando bien, con mucha ilusión, y lo están haciendo pues en base a, unas, a unos compromisos que hemos adquirido con ellos de, de hacerles ver que ellos son el motor del fútbol de, de Canadá, ¿no? En la medida en que ellos sean capaces de clasificar a la hexagonal y de ahí a Rusia, pues sería un boom especial para, para este país tan maravilloso. So what you're saying, Joel, is it's kind of what he's up against. I mean, he has no league. To, to pick players from. So if Liga MX increases the amount of foreigners, then what Liga MX is going to turn into is is basically the English Premier League. Keep in mind, uh, I don't know if, I don't know if hopefully my connection holds, uh, keep in mind that every country that has won the World Cup, uh, at least in the recent memory, from especially from the European side, is they've had probably very strong domestic leagues where, you know, they, like Germany doesn't have a cap on foreigners. uh I believe the Netherlands doesn't have a cap of foreigners. They, you know, they've been contention like every World Cup. Uh, Spain, you know, they got the European Union that, that there's no cap on those players, and they still can pick three uh, players from outside the European continent, outside the European Union. Uh, same thing with, you know, England doesn't have a cap on foreigners. So I think, I think you, you know, we gotta really study this thing and see. Hey, maybe it's not a bad thing to have a. You know the base of the national team playing against the the uh, the, the future Agueros and you know the future Suarez's uh, before before they move up. Uh, you know Juan, before they cross have, the Atlantic. We only have about eleven players abroad. That's that's very weak sauce. But exactly. But now you see you won't have to go abroad if your if your domestic league is strong. If it's generating the kind of income where these players they want to stay. You know, over here. Yeah, but usually they take a unless if you're really good, they're taking a pay cut to go abroad. You do understand that, right? Well, yeah. So exactly. So there's no there's even less reason to for them to leave if one 
they're they're playing the best the best football around, uh, and their their game they're getting paid well. And if you're bringing in these top these uh you know these top top uh top uh you know uh, foreigners uh from every national team in South America or and even you know send a couple of Central Americans. You know, I did then, find it interesting today, and, and I mean to cut you off, Juan, about about the the, the, the talent level we do have in Liga Mekis, and it's something we've talked about. You know, as a recurring team in our podcast, 46 players were called up for friendlies or qualifiers from Liga MX this week. 46. It's not bad. 46. No, it's not. I, I, I don't remember if it was this past World Cup or the World Cup before, but it was also, I mean, one of the most represented uh, leagues in the World Cup. It was the most represented league in the previous Copa America. I know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... There is, you know, it's it's uh, you know I understand both arguments and and, and both of y'all have some very, uh, very very valid points. It it just seems that if if they could find a balance, you know, if they, I have no issue with foreigners. I think that some of the greatest players that have ever played in Liga Mekis have been foreigners. Obviously, I mean, it's it's it, it historically as long as we've been alive has been a league that has been a league that imports players. So there's no. You know, this is just the obvious next step. Now, where I think that we know we have to be careful is, you know, when we see a country like England, and that's why I was pointing out that yeah, it has this great league, but their national team just, you know, frankly hasn't lived up to the expectation that the fans have, and frankly, that we we do as fans as well, because you know, England, you know, we would expect them to be a traditional power, and lately they haven't shown it. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that. There just aren't enough English players. Let's look at the La Liga, La Liga 2010. Let's look at their top scores. How many of them were Dude, actually Spanish? Let's Spain is an anomaly because out of the 23 players that were out of what is the starting 11, eight of them played for the same team. It just so happened to be the greatest team that has played in the last 50 years. So, that's so what you're telling me is that uh, Ronnie needs to become a Chivas fan in order for Mexico to win the World Cup if. If uh, there's that many foreigners in the league. <laughs> I think so. Well, hey, before you go, hey John, before we go, um, yes. tell us tell us about your experience at the Mexican soccer show. Oh yeah, the Mexican soccer show was great. Well, after about you know, I, I always uh, will never complain about connecting here 20 minutes late ever again. For whatever reason, it was it was very hard for Wiso to make the connection, but it was. It was interesting because, you know, we saw once he has a very structured uh, show, and that's fine. There's it, uh, absolutely nothing wrong with that. And he would just ask each of the panel, you know, a question, okay, we're going to talk about the national team. Uh, you're going to take the defense. You're going to take the midfielder. You're going to take the forwards, et cetera. So I, I liked it. I mean, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Dude, uh, um... I, I hate to, you know, brag, but I was easily the best-looking guy on the panel. So <laughs> it got, got increased – views I'm sure but do they I do any say, like though, any dick jokes do they do chocolate no, no, yeah, nothing it was, like it was that all, it was all G, it was a very very serious show but I will say that even though I was the best looking guy on that show I'm only the, the sixth or seventh best looking guy on this show so yeah, this guy, huh? yeah, yeah so no but there was you know there was no you know I did kind of uh, rattle uh, Johnny Rico a little bit with the whole Americanismo thing because it's just so easy it's just so easy to get under the skin of of Americanistas, but no, it was a good show, and uh, you know, it's interesting because uh, you know, Naim Moran is uh, is a guy who uh, 
it's starting to get a little connected. So he probably has a little bit more, you know, it's nice to have that insight because, you know, he's around the team, especially the Mexico City teams. He gets to go to the press conferences this and that, and he's starting to develop those relationships. So he's starting to get a little bit more insight with that. And, you know, Weasel does a great job. I'm going to, I'll be seeing him tomorrow. I'm going up to Vancouver tomorrow. So I'm hoping to have a beer with him and Tom Marshall somewhere in town. Uh, Vancouver's a gorgeous town. I'm really looking forward to it. And the game's going to be great. It should be a, it should be a lot of fun. BC Place is a gorgeous stadium. I'm looking forward to that. I'll be sending pictures. I've got my mic. Thanks for sending my mic. What, what is it? BB's what? See, stadium? BC Place. <laughs> oh, oh. Okay. BCDs? Not, not BBC. BC Place. It's not the BBC. It's BBC. Yeah, leave it to Ryan to think about the BBC, man. It was funny. Actually, Dan I was, was thinking about that. Dan was thinking about that, not me. I was going to say, I was, I was watching uh, Real Madrid over the weekend, and um, what's that English guy uh, who does the play-by-play? Yeah, he kept saying BBC, man, and I was just like, come on, man. We need to get an audio clip of that, then. Yeah. He says it constantly. He's like, because I guess it's uh, Bale, Benzema, and was it on? Was it on the Cristiano. BBC? So was the BBC on the BBC? No, no, no. This is on uh, BM Sports. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I know you wanted a... No, no, no. No, no, no. Never mind. Oh. I'll just... Anyway, as, as we were saying, so we really uh, uh, you know, appreciate y'all listening to our show tonight. We will have a full recap, and I'll try and post some stuff as I on the SoccerChronicle.com website from my trip to... Vancouver. I'm hoping to take some pictures of Mount Rainier. So has anyone ever flown into Seattle? When yeah. you fly into Seattle, you fly right past Mount Rainier. It's very cool. So hopefully I'll be on the right side of the airport. It was that moment you think about. Uh, that's something we'll have to talk about off the air. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I thought that was an internal joke. Fellas. That's an internal. Keep it internal. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Anyway, Someone broke, well, someone broke the rule. Well, uh, Christian, thank you for joining us. I know you can make it last week, but thank you. The first rule of Russell Camp. <laughs> it's been my pleasure, John. Do not I, talk I, about the Russell Camp. <laughs> I, no, it was great, John. Thank you again, and, and I hope you have a blast in Canada. I hope, I hope, uh, I really do hope you smoke a lot of weed, man. Just going to throw it out there. Right. Well, I'm, I'm Chris, Christian, by blast, do you mean a descremada? <laughs> well, John, uh, yeah, just uh, good, good luck over there, man. Um, have a great time. Say, say hi to, to, to Wiso. I will, I will. Uh, Chiquis, thanks for joining us. Thanks for keeping it real. I think he, he he's gone. I think, I think he, you're right. He, no, he's, he's asked out. He's trying to say something. He's trying to say something. Anyway. Juan, thank you for sending the mic flag. I really appreciate it and uh, appreciate your insight tonight, man. Thanks. You got it, John. Thank you for having me. Te me placas con ese podcast. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Chiquis, I don't know if you're on or not, but uh, again, thanks for setting everything up for us here on the Los Podcast. And uh, Ronnie, always is always a great discussion, and uh, we'll be in touch as I'll uh, set stuff down. Cool. Well, this has been the Dos Acero Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We'll be with you guys next week at the same time, about 9 p.m. Central. 
You can listen to us live on YouTube, or you can catch the recorded version on iTunes. Please feel free to download it at your leisure. You this has been the Nosa Cero Podcast. I'm John Jagu. Thank you guys for joining us. Join us again next week. We are. <laughs> oh. Yeah, be careful because we're still live, boys. Be careful, we're still live. Well, he's gonna have to edit this shit out. <laughs> hey, Juan. Yo. You you were saying how there's no problem in Europe. I think you're disregarding a lot of stuff that that a lot of those leagues have, like their overall football culture, quality of the youth coaches. Well, uh, yeah, number, like, number of clubs as well, you know. I think all of that, all of that makes a difference. You know, I think Germany's the model to look at, man. Because to me, Spain is unique because Barcelona but, has. A, but Barcelona but you know what? Germany, Germany is small, dude. You could go, you could go all over Germany in ten hours. Try to refresh your connection, Juan. Uh, okay. So it, so it's easy for them to have like to send like. People to the different um, clubs and stuff, and uh, check up on their clubs. So you think uh, you're, what you're saying is Jalisco can do it? Yeah, you could. You could. It would have to with Mexico. Even like the U.S., it has to be very regional. So you're saying California is going to win the World Cup for the Nets? Is that what you're saying? It could. It could if they got their shit together. There's there's a lot of players here from everywhere. There's a lot of players in California leaving. Uh, but but you know like that's not gonna happen because of the whole the whole structure of the of the game here, where you have these leagues where you play like what three months. So what, what I was gonna tell you is a lot of kids in California they actually they venture to Mexico. They're oh they're, more and more are going. Well look look at Ponce he's from Sacramento wasn't uh, uh, Jesus Padilla I think wasn't he also from California. You got some guys at Pachuca that are from uh, in California as well. I, I don't know, man. I don't think we should close the door to foreigners. You, you know, it's like, okay, if you want to sharpen a knife, are you going to use the, the worst rock available or the best rock but available? See, this, this is the thing. For the most part, we get more petardos than we get. We don't have, like, I'm not against players like like how we had Cardoso, Aguinaga, even a Cabañas. What about Sambu? Yeah, he's really good, but I'm saying. Funes Mori. I mean, yeah, those guys are good, but I mean, we Carlos have a lot, a lot, Carlos Fierro. You have, <laughs> oh, no, but you have like the Bianucci. <laughs> you have like the Bianucci's, and you have like um. Hey, but he's Messi's cousin, man. They Messi's, had to take a risk. Messi's cousin's Ro- roommate. Santa, Roque Santa Cruz, Gilma. Yeah, I mean, we we end up with way more players that just. You're gonna forget by next season, and then a whole new crop gets brought in. So it's like that's just hurting us, cause instead of having our own talent playing, we're giving we're giving opportunities to to some of these other players. I I, I think I was talking about I forgot who I was talking to about. I don't know if it was in the forums we were talking about the under 17 and how good uh, Mexico has been doing at the under 17 level, and I'm like, you know, the irony of that is. Our players, you know, they'll they'll beat up these, they'll they'll win like, like over Uruguay and some of these other teams, 
And then those players end up in Liga MX. You know, the teams that, the players we defeated end up playing in Liga MX while our own players end up like in third division somewhere. Well, Holly, you know that uh, they're not going to do away with like bringing foreign players, you know. Um, so with the solution, and we kind of, I think we talked about this at one point, and, and they were talking, people were talking about maybe like putting a quota on, uh, at least like the quality of the players, like you know they would have to be national team players, or you know, at least on the periphery of the national team of their given whatever national team before they got signed by. Mexican teams, and you can make exceptions, you know, for maybe Argentina or or Brazil, you know, for players like that. But I mean, if you want to avoid situations like that, I don't know, man. Los promotores, o sea, it's hard. Well, yeah, I think uh, didn't Cruz Azul have uh, specific issues with that, and uh, maybe Puebla did as well. Yeah, yeah Puebla with the, with the management to like just hiring the guys that have been around the league for a while, Luis Gabriel Rey. You know, guys like that that they're kind of proven in the league, so they just kind of they slide them in, and 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 you know that's what keeps them afloat. You know, but you know Monterrey and Tigres seem to be going out and getting you know, you know at least lately like very good quality foreigners. But you know the rule with the you know with people acquiring Mexican citizenship after two years, you know it it just now they're playing as Mexicans, but you know they they're still foreign players, and and you can fill up your team. With players like that, you know, you can you can have half your team, half of your 28-man roster can be 14 guys that are just not native, regardless of whether or not they have a passport at this point or not. It's a tricky thing, man. But if the league sees it as entertainment, they want to fo- they want to focus on entertainment, then we, we at this point we just have to hope for the best. But the, here's the thing: their the, cash the Mex- cow, the the Mexican Federation's cash cow is the national team. Yeah. yeah so if so they're if they're if they're willing to, if they're willing to lose all the money for for you know go, you know not going to the Confederations Cup, not going to the Olympics, not going to hell, even missing out a World Cup, they need to consider. They need to think about. They need to think about that. I think what that's precisely the point. The the federation is going to have to make some kind of investments to keep their cash cow going because even though the Aren't the people calling the shots overlap because a group of, of the Mexican league owners are really the ones that call the shots at the national team for the most part? Yes, yes, because there, there really is, aside from from Liga MX now being a, a S corporation and the Mexican Federation still being a nonprofit, it's still run by the same uh, group of people. Meaning, like at the, I mean, the 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 the, the real you know the real people of power. It, it's still, it's still, you know, the Televisas. It's still, you know, Ascarraga. It's still Slim. It's still what's his name, uh, Salinas. It's still all the 18 owners. Those are really the 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 the, the, the main guys. So I think the 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 federation itself is going to have to uh, uh, implement a a sub uh, sub 23 league and maybe limit the the foreigners on the on the primer on the ascenso teams. <laughs> You know, to, to kind of compensate so that they, because uh, look, you know, Nestor his last his last uh, run with Chivas. One of the things he complained about is, uh, uh, and Jolie will, will will state this too, is that the players they were not ready for the first team from the U20 to the first team. Uh, it was a big jump, and that you know, like Chivas in the past, they had they had their their ascenso team with the, with now they've been using Coras uh, to kind of. Transition the players from the U20 to 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 get to first division. 
So I think, uh, and, and in the past, Nestor had also stated that the clubs, they were not giving the players opportunities. There's something, there was something missing. And I think, I think it's that, that jump from the U20 to the first team that's missing, that there's no way to, to make that transition in, a, in a, you know, how do you say, any kind of progression, systemic progression there. And, like, if you look at other leagues, like, doesn't Brazil, like, they have the, they have the B League, don't they have the U23 League? Uh, they have Serie A, they have Serie B, they have, like, in Brazil. But remember, the Brazilian League is very complicated. It's very regional. Uh, and also, I mean, they all, I know they have the state, the, the, the national um, but well, I think when you want to solve a problem, you gotta look at how everybody else has addressed it. And, you well, know, that's the interesting one. Uh, it's the way Spain has does it uh, in in their where you know the B teams, their the highest they can go is in the Ascenso League, and the B team is part of the is part of the club. Uh, look, you don't, you know, if, if I understand that, you know, I understand that Liga MX they want they want a global brand. But it's never going to be global. It isn't because it's not, and it's not because the quality is, going to, is not going to be. It's never going to be great. It's just because, unfortunately, we're on this side of the pond. I mean, really, that's that's that's. I mean, that's really that's really it. I mean, Argentina they have they still have a great you know football culture. Brazil still has a, still still has a great football culture. Uruguay still has a great uh, you know soccer culture. But unfortunately, the whole international that- thing. I mean, Can't but they really, just I mean, be a Western Hemisphere brand? Because well, if they're bringing in all these Argentine stars and they're, and you already got all the, all the, you know, all the Jolies in LA, look, watching them, you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, honestly, I disagree, Ronnie. Honestly, though, I, I, I mean, there's, honestly, there's, it, it could absolutely be. become more global, though. What's that? It could absolutely become more global. You're gonna, you're gonna reach, you're gonna get globalization. You're gonna, you're gonna get globalization. With your national team winning the World Cup, not not with America winning the, the Champions League club or winning the Soccopa. How far do you think the Champions League will How how far do you think Liga MX is from from being able to have players of the quality of of Cristiano and Messi? Because that's the only way you'll become a global brand in their prime. In their I prime. Three fifty. I disagree though, and when I say global, uh, or maybe maybe. Um, no, but and, you're competing. You're competing with with those. You're leagues. not actually. You're not actually Which? because. Would you listen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's really simple. What do you do? Um, what, well, for the single guys, what do you guys do all day? You watch league game after league game from a multitude of countries. Why can't Europeans do that? Their, their games are going to be on at a certain time. Liga MX games are going to be on a, a, usually at a completely different time. If people are, are up, why they're going to want to watch soccer. Why but hey, be that oh, to be, you know what? So, do, do you watch the Salvadorian League? America should hire uh, oh, uh, no, no, I don't. a Japanese player. They should I'm, sign uh, uh, you know, oh, the top man. Japanese player, the top uh, African player. Yeah. That will help the league. I'm just, I'm just saying. If they, if they want to sell it to, to other countries, yes, that's the way to do it. You have to get somebody notable from that country. But otherwise, I, yeah, they're not going to pay attention. There's not, look, there's at the, not, look at the MLS, dude. They're, they're signing, like, uh, all, the, all the, the Mexicans uh, that want to retire comfortably. 
uh, like Geo. I, I I know, and that's fine. But you know what? Mexico was there. 50, that was Mexico forty years ago. I mean, what, what Qatar? What you know? What China? What you Kavi, know? What what, you what know, the, what Saudi Arabia is doing of hiring you know these has-beens? That's what Mexico used to do. You know what? Fuck. Who cares? I still remember Bebeto going to Toros Mesa. Yeah. And you know how much he was getting paid at that time, dude? Three hundred thousand a month, U.S. dollars. And from Toros Mesa. <laughs> for, for Toros Mesa, and, and now you and, and yeah. then you wonder, and then you wonder why the hell they were, uh, they're 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 relegated. That's why. Uh... Dude, we even had Celaya had a had a couple ex Real Madrid. They had three of them at one point. Well, yeah, even but, though but, Butragueño, Butragueño. he was good, but. The other two guys, uh, they had Hugo for Hugo a little Sanchez. bit. Well, Celaya, uh, but but Celaya, uh, believe it or not, they're they have the, that that Celaya's ownership had um, Spanish backing, or you know, or the, from the Spanish Mexican community. So there was there's actually a reason why, uh, you know, the Real Madrid players went there, like you know, Butragueño and what's it, Michel? No, who was it? Uh, yeah, I think it was Michel. It wasn't Michel and, 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 and Hugo. Um, one of the reasons why they went to that to that team is because uh, uh, because of the Spanish. There were some Span- key Spanish you know people there from you know the Spanish community and in, in, in Mexico, and obviously that's why they went there. So it's not because you know they were making buku money, which they they were making good money, but <laughs> not not Bebeto money. But uh, no, no. I, but I, I'm just I'm just pointing out how they, how you know. We've seen players from top top leagues or top teams play in Mexico. I mean, well, we had Bern, Bern Schuster. Didn't he play at Pumas? Yeah, Bern Schuster. But he, here, here's the thing: how many, how many Double played in you know Mexico? No, <laughs> no hey, you, uh, and I'll say this, and I, and I honestly say this: one of the, and I hated them, but one of the best teams I ever saw play was the Boca Juniors of Bianchi. I mean, they were. It was clockwork, dude. It was just. They were like. They were like Pep's Barcelona, dude. They, I mean, they were just badass to watch, and they won a shitload of trophies. They won the world. They beat you know. They, I think they beat Inter Milan over there in Japan the, in the World Club. Uh, I mean, that's that's when they had a young Riquelme, uh, uh, Schiavi. You had uh, Chicho Serna. You had uh, uh, that Colombian goalkeeper. What's his name? Uh, shit. I mean, anyhow, they had they had a lot of good players, but even with all that, even with all that success of Boca, <laughs> it's not like they became a global. Not like they became global. You know what I mean? Who Boca Juniors? Yeah. Well, I guess that there's yeah, levels. they did, man. There's I I knew people in Mexico that they're not, and now not, and not, here, not global. Me, of course, we know them because of because we have Latin American ties. But I'm 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 saying this. Wow. That those pl- those players that those players, you know that of course people know River River and, and Boca, but as far as the team, it, it's not it's not a global and and they sh- and they won a shitload of international trophies. River played it, you know, although they you know they they fucking got relegated and stuff like that. I mean, but keep in mind though, a lot of that happened also pre uh, internet. No, it, the, you still had internet in two thousand three. I mean, not to the level it is now though. I mean, I mean you. You could you mean you, social media, and social media, and the avail and the 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 ability to watch the amount of games that we are from just about any league. But but that see that 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 wasn't that prevalent back then. 
But see, you know what people what people do is they follow their they'll follow the, like the national team. So if you follow your club after you see your club game, you'll watch like wherever players from your national team are playing at. Yep. And you're not gonna like you're gonna. I mean, are you gonna if you have the option to see a Chicharito play? Are you gonna are you gonna bypass that to see like uh, you know the Argentine Clásico? Not me, no. I I think it's the same. Like if, when you go to Europe, uh, and you're talking about like those countries like in England and and uh, and Spain and all that, they're not they're not really gonna want to watch, you know, other leagues just because it's available. No, I agree, I agree. But that's why I'm, I'm, my point is that if you're gonna start trying to sell the product to other countries, you have to be able to, to, to sell to them on that level but where it's like where it, it like it wasn't a coincidence like it was odd where one day PSV games started being shown all of a sudden. You know, it, it's because there was a need now. There was a, a Mexican player playing over there who was high profile and then um people wanted know, to watch. But, but there's a but there's a market other, for that in the US and Mexico but uh, my my point is that other countries would probably have a similar interest if you had a, if you got one of their high profile players playing in your league they'd, they'd yeah. be interested on some level I don't think there's that many people watching like like Liga MX they'll probably just like you know French people because of Guignac they'll probably just watch the Tigres or watch the Tigre recaps so that's how it you starts know? man how many, that's exactly that's my point. That's how, how many teams are. How many people are Tottenham fans just because Maradona uh, wiped his ass with their shirt uh, once? You know. Yeah, I don't well, think. And, it, and it's not about well, getting just a big name or a has been. It's about getting someone who's still relevant. But you know what? I'm gonna say this. Uh, I think I think with a uh, big IMX, I don't think they're trying to target a global audience. They just feel that's what Mexico fans in general are gonna prefer. If you target, if you target just the Americas, dude, you're on top. You're, I mean, th- that's all you need. I mean, you really don't need that. You know, you don't really need, you know, all those other markets because you have you have a huge population base. It's not about you, needing them though. It's about thinking bigger. Like what? BBC, like what? BBC what? bigger. Yes, <laughs> más grande. BBC <laughs> bigger. <laughs> No, but I'm just – it's just like – and honestly, before before you can sell that, Mexico's got to get their shit together too, man. I mean their mean image international – well, just in, in general. I mean Mexico needs to clean their fucking image. You know, let's be honest. They need to clean their image before we, you know. No, no more chanting puto at the games? No, no, not that. I'm, ta- I'm talking about the violence. I'm talking about, you know, the corruption. I'm talking about the trans- the lack of transparency. Hold on. You're telling me that there's no politicians, uh, like let's say, uh, let's say the U.S., there's no corrupt politicians, uh, you know, there's no corruption going on what up I'm, here? What, I, what, I, what I'm telling you, what I'm telling you is, <laughs> It, Nor it, everywhere it, it, inter- else. No, what I'm telling you is internationally, you they're not seeing. They're not always seeing the beautiful parts of Mexico. That what they're seeing is that they're seeing the narcs. They're seeing the the the, the hanging bodies, uh, the the decapitated heads. They're seeing the uh, the, the mass graves of, of women in the border. They're, I mean, they're seeing that shit. They're seeing I mean, tribal tribal music. Those long pointy boots. <laughs> Yeah, but maybe maybe Tom Marshall he's helping you know because now they see uh 
an Irish guy, you know? And he, <laughs> he's living in Guadalajara, <laughs> living it up, dude. Hey, yeah, I know true. I know true English, yeah. Who? Who? Uh, he's he writes. He's writing for uh, Food Mix Source, dude. You know uh, what? Tom, I need to another speak. Tom. Another Tom. Tom Harris. Tom Harris. Yeah. We need to start talking with a, with Argentine accents because for some reason in Mexico, dude, if you speak in a British or an Argentine <laughs> accent, you have you have automatic automatic credibility. <laughs> you know. It does, man. But I, I just want to stress this point. Pero son dado en los mundiales. I mean, I, I do think overall. Uh, the Mexican club owners, they don't have that much faith in uh, Mexican talent, which I think it's it's kind of sad. I, I think the talent's there. I think we could have – this is – for me, it's realistic. We could have up to 30 to 40 players abroad. Uh, they don't all have to be high caliber, but good enough to be abroad. Hey, Joey. And, and the UMX should have at least 20 top players. Huh? Joey, uh, how much – you know, we've been talking – the channel we made where we just talk about Chivas. How much? Yeah. So, do, do you remember how much it was that uh, that Chivas has spent in the last ten years uh, developing players? Uh, oh, allegedly. I, I don't Okay. I don't know because I didn't what, post that, but I don't. I don't buy it, dude. I don't buy it at all. Vergara is just a liar, man. He'll he'll just throw whatever numbers he. You know what he once said? He once complained yeah. about like. Thrown around them. No, I mean I I don't know it's hard, it's hard for me to to guess but but I'm just I'm just pointing something out that is uh it was made public so Vergara was complaining about because he wasn't buying he wasn't buying players he's saying they're trying to sell me like the average player as if he's a if he's a star and uh, he's saying how he's lost all this money and uh, he blamed he blamed Frankie who at the point was like in charge of the of negotiating the deals Frankie uh, and. Yeah, and so Frankie Frankie replied, he's like, you know what? I got I got all the paperwork. We actually made money. He's like, whenever he wants to be on, you know, I'll bring I'll bring the proof and we could be on air on on any show, and I'll and I'll show that he's lying. And so God, I never the, responded, dude. He disappeared, huh? What's the dollar amount being thrown around that Chivas invest every year? That, uh, um, I, not to criticize people's work. Let's just say, let's just look at it from a business perspective. It, it's difficult. Uh, you uh, you, the, the oh, hey, you want to look at it from a, and what's the dollar? What's the dollar? it from? Hold on. Do you want to look at it from a business standpoint for, or a business standpoint? Investment. <laughs> business. <laughs> business. Business. Come on with some more. The dollar figure being thrown around for Chivas the passing years is $80 million that they've invested in youth development. Now, whether, let's say, maybe that figure's not true and it's maybe closer to half, you know, $40 million and not 80 uh, what, what have they reaped for that investment? So, you cut out. I didn't hear you, man. At the other... I think he was uh, saying what what have they gotten from that investment? Is that what you're saying? One? Amazing how he speaks that you can understand yeah. that dolphin speak. I was about to elaborate and then I was like, oh no. Hey, stop, you stop, know, you know the alive. one the one the one thing I could add is that like if if he did spend that much money, he's fucking retarded, dude. Because 
you're not going to give away a Davila for like, he's only for like 500k or something, like less than a million to Chelsea. And so if you're spending that much money and you have one of your top prospects, you're not going to give him away so so cheaply. So that that's the only reason I, I don't I don't buy the whole 80, 80 million. In the past 10 years. No way. There's no way you'll sell Chicharro for six million. He's he's like your best player ever, and and you're gonna sell him for six million, and you're spending that much. That just doesn't add up, especially if you're a businessman like like Vergara, <laughs> dude. Like Vergara, man. He he knows. He, you know he he knows he knows a thing or two about that. So I think he's exaggerating. So how much do you think he's really spending? I mean, you have to take into account how much is spent on facilities and how many coaches, how many scouts. Without that, it's, it's, it's difficult, you know, for me to So you to don't get think a it's price. $8 million. It's not $8 million a year? $8 million a year? No, I don't I don't think it's that much. So, I mean, I, come on, I, I it's Mexico, man. Hate, it, it's Mexico. I used to hate Vergara, but the more and more I think about it, it's the more I appreciate him. You, hey, you have to like him, Ronnie. <laughs> for, Ronnie for his shadiness. Hey, Ronnie, you know? not, only, not only that, he trolls. I mean, he, had a, he, probably hard, had, he probably had a tough paper route, dude. He, hey, he learned a trick or two. Americanistas, Americanistas should really like Vergara, man. He he humiliates Chivas worse than anyone, dude. You know, from, from renting the players to for kid parties to hiring ex Americanistas to run the club. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you tell me. Ex atlistas developing. Nah, dude. Real, Real is Chivas first, dude. Where, and, where do you go back to now? Where is he working at now again? I think, you know, I think Atlas wants him. Yeah, I, I think he's going back to Atlas. He's man. Guadalajara based, so I mean, why would he want to leave the city? So the figure being thrown out around by this guy cut off. Ronnie, what would you estimate it at? Since you you live in Mexico, I mean, you, could, you, you have a better understanding of wages. And in those uh, ten years. I can't understand what Juan is saying, dude. He's he's breaking off, dude. That was that was too much for for even me to to, to decipher. It's, it sounds like he's an inhaler. Um, Ronnie, I, yeah. I think you could have a pretty decent grasp. I mean, you lived over there, and and a bit of good understanding of like wages would be. Oh well, think think you know you had to you you had to take in consideration. Uh, the travel and and the kids. So I mean, if Clutch Amarilla, dude, come on, how, how expensive could that be? I honestly, I honestly think that on the high end, on the high end, on a year, they're they're spending two million, high end. You know, in their in their youth. Yeah, that's you, that's that's more believable. That's 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 on the high high end. I think I, I think that you know more realistically, it's probably in the in the half a mil to maybe a mil at the most, and that's yeah, and, that, and that's and that's we're talking salaries, we're talking travel, we're talking you know 
the, the, the maintenance with the upkeep. Yeah, and you know what? A lot of these youth players, they're, they're not going to get paid a lot. Uh, and that story is well known with Salcido, who who was going to go back to washing cars, or I think he was working in a factory. And he was going to go back to doing that because he, he didn't, he wasn't making enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, uh, when he, uh, he had like a youth contract. You know, okay, if he's spending $2 million a year, Twenty million the past okay. year. Let, let's say there's fifty. Yeah. Let, let's say there's fifty people. Let's let's say there's fifty people across the board on the staff. You know, between staff and players. On you know, uh, in, in the youth. And let's say that each everybody's you know costing you five you know fifty thousand. You know, what, fifty thousand pesos. No, no, you know dollars. Like I'm talking dollars. No, yes. that's a high wage, man. Well, I know, I know. But the thing about it is. With your wages, your you know uh, your be- you know benefits, medical, the travel, your per diems, all that bullshit. Which is that's why I'm saying it's high end, high end. That's basically two two point just two point five million. And you know that's not, and you know that you know they're not making fifty million, uh, 50, you know fifty thousand. And you know that you know these guys, you know they're probably making you know their salaries are probably going to be in the twenty thousand, twenty five thousand. You know, and we're talking about you know your regular coaches are probably making about you know anywhere from. Eighteen to twenty thousand dollars a year, U.S. dollars. When when you when when you know uh, the equivalent of. But I mean, I don't. What was the figure that you said? Eighty million. No, there's a figure being thrown around by Vergara. I think. I don't. I don't buy it. Unless unless he bought unless unless that money that he got from selling what is it Verde? What's the one that he sold? Verde Valle. Verde uh, Valle. The club. He he also sold the, the I think the gym. Yeah, the Verde Valle for which... <laughs> no, the the, Verde Valle. What was it called? The Club? The Club of yeah, the... Yeah, the Casa Club. The, class, the, the, that, I mean, the one that was across the street from... Uh, it, shit, man. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, he... That's where Jolie would do his push-ups and, you know... No, how much, did he, how much did he sell that for? He sold that for, like, what, $60 million? And I remember there was a there was some, you know, I think he got turned into some condos, and I think these... Uh, President Fox's uh, wife, kid, or some shit like that, what, was involved in that deal or some something like that. Yeah, I know they sold Tapatio too, so, so I don't know. I don't know what so, second so division I mean, side. So sold. I mean, honestly, for the money, for the money that he sold that, and keep in mind, and I, and I made a point on this back in back in the day in big soccer is that, you know, he sold it with Chivas de Chivas de Corazon, you know, uh, SA de Seve, you know, the S Corporation. If they would have sold that the way legally you're so, you were supposed to sell it, which is which was uh, under the uh, the nonprof, you know that money had to go back to Chivas. But the way but the way it was sold, that money, for all we know, Vergara could have you know used that to to pay you know Omni Life debts or whatever. Yeah, but I mean the point is that uh, well he's investing in the youth teams. Is he getting it back? And are the other clubs looking at it like, hey, you know? I, I do think I, I do think he does get a lot of the money back. If you think of the number of Chiba players across the board, it, it's a big number. I mean, just in Coras, they have like eight or ten. Uh, the, the amount they have in Dorado. Is Coras paying transfer fees? Huh? Is Coras paying transfer fees or is it just loans? No, they're they're loans. They're so they're loans, but, but they have yeah. to pay the wages, huh? Yeah, but so he's not making money on those deals. It, I mean, to me, it doesn't seem like 
like the the cantera is not really producing players for him to to be able to profit off of is my point. No, but like so players, the cantera, the cantera is losing money. Like the only one that got sold for anything was like uh, what Cheech, uh, Gudino was it like two million, and then Kubo, I guess I I, I don't remember went the for six million. figure. Six million. You sure? MLS. MLS paid six million for him. Hey, they were probably hoping they weren't. Ho- Ho- do you remember? Yeah. You remember back in the day when, uh, when uh, what's his name, really? Colibris, when Colibris went under? Wow, dude, isn't that more than what Beach Wait, what? <laughs> one, one at a time. Colibris you, wasn't Colibris. Colibris Celaya turned into Colibris. BBC's into uh, Colibris. Yeah, well, yeah, they they trained, you know, the Celaya with Colibris. But do you remember after that whole debacle where that uh, that airline owner who and his airline also went bankrupt uh he ended up owing half uh, uh basically what if i recall correctly the mexican federation stepped in they paid half of the wages back so the players didn't get half of the wages they, they paid up half because they, they were months behind but after that whole debacle the the mexican federation Basically, change their bylaws that any new owner that you know wanted to go in to, to get into I the, do, the. I do it, remember that that they changed the laws. Yeah, yeah. Were, yeah, they changed the bylaws and they required they required that you have to be liquid five 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 million five million for so for a club. So now, if you really think about it, on the low end, if you're like some team that just came up from the you know from the lower divisions to the first division. The Mexican Federation wanted to make sure that, as an owner, you ha- you were going to have enough to cover all your your uh, your uh, your debts. So you think about it: a team on the slow end is going to be five million. So you know that, that most of that's going to go in your salaries. And you're talking and you're talking about first division players and shit. So I, I know we're talking. I know this goes back ten years. You know you're not going to spend that much in your in your in your youth. So, like, like I said, I, I, I have a hard time believing that Vergara spent, you know, or that, that number that's being thrown around of eighty million. I just don't buy. In fact, in fact, I think it might Now, in fact, I think they're making money. I, I mean, I don't know. It's been a while since I checked since I checked into it, but I remember reading an article that what a bunch of these Mexican teams were doing. The first, you know, teams like you know they would have like these satellite type of schools. Like in Reynosa and Matamoros and and you know Torreon and, and whatever, and basically, uh, I saw one. I saw one in in East LA, uh, well, Cruz Azul satellite yeah, school being taught by Chino Strada. Yeah, but you had to pay to use that yeah. that stuff. Yeah. So it's not like it's they not like it's not like and the logos. Yeah, it was like a, it was like your franchise. It's like they were franchising the school, so they were making money. Now this, there's the Pumas one in Downey. Now I you know I don't know if they've changed their system now and if everything really is legit. But back in, back then when I used to keep up with this, I remember that you know the teams, first division teams, they were making money basically lending their name and and having a, a, a legit you know a licensed uh, coach have a school set up, but you know they would pay a franchise if you will fee. I, I know they didn't call it that, but really that's what it is. And you know I'm your kids. Pretty were sure trained. there's dozens of those. I, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I like I said, I haven't looked into this in in a long time, but that's the way it was. There's a Club America one in Long Beach, but I don't know if they're actually affiliated. 
You're not taking your kids there, Juan. You know what, man? Those that guy he started a league. It's actually it's the biggest uh, youth league. Uh, outside, you know, it's the biggest uh, Latin league around uh, on Sundays. Uh, he's got teams from like freaking north, northern part of LA down to Long Beach, Compton, participating in it. Uh, and he's, he he called it the Chucho Ramirez uh, soccer league. They've even been like on some radio shows. I think they were on some radio Chucho show. Chucho Ramirez soccer league. Yeah, Chucho Ram- La Liga. Type in his name, Chucha Ramirez La Liga, and, and they even got a website now where they put the schedules in. Is, uh, it, is it like uh, is it like dodgeball when when they go compete <laughs> and all the teams are like? <laughs> what? <laughs> no man, it's like, like real soccer, dude, you know, with their hands full. I know, but but you could tell where they're from just by looking at the players. Oh, I see, I see. They're very stereotypical. Uh, you say teams from Compton. You say teams from Compton and stuff. Like oh, yeah. I'm nah, imagining they, all this, all this stuff. You know. No, no, you. There's no, you know, no NWA or anything like that. <laughs> no. Hey, speaking, of, speaking of like, like rec league. Uh, I met, uh, I met these two guys at the uh, union game, and they're basically, uh, they have this uh, Spanish internet. Uh, I guess channel or station and like they already have up to like 20 you know or I'm sorry like 15 15,000 subscribers and stuff oh snap yeah so I mean uh, guys from South Philly and stuff like that and uh, you know really nice guys um, is, it, is it English? no it's in Spanish it's in Spanish obviously uh, so I just started shooting the shit with them and they are telling me that they you know they that they cover that they cover the uh, local uh, Mexican leagues here in uh, in Philly uh, and it's funny because you know when he's talking about that, I remember a couple of years ago Manuel Rios. Remember him from America? He 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 to me that Manuel Rios. There was like two three seasons where the kid was playing really good, and he actually reminded me of Cabrito Arellano because they were kind of like on the same build. Uh, but unfortunately, awesome. but uh, Manuel Rios he he won he won the championship. He won the league with America in two thousand two. With uh, La Puente, but you know he, he had problems with uh, I think with his uh, agent and stuff like that, getting crappy deals. So um, there was a point where he had to play in Central America. I think he was playing in Guatemala or whatever. But you know, kid had you know kid had talent. Uh, but yeah, he was in uh, he was actually coaching uh, in South Philly like a couple years back. So. You know, when John, John asked me if I was going to get a player, like a next player, I, was, um, I think I may, I think I may be able to get a hold of him. Cricket. Is he going to? Is he going to want like a? Is he going to want like in a room in a hotel room and board for the for the week? <laughs> <laughs> like uh, you know, these guys out here in LA. Uh, you know, Ramon Ramirez and Claudio Suarez—they're out here in LA. Enrique Borja too. They'll do events. Uh. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember when uh, uh, Ramon Ramirez went to LA? Or who was it? Galaxy or Chivas USA or which Chivas movie? USA? Remember that uh, one of the problems he was having was getting a visa for his uh, for his maid. <laughs> you remember that? 
<laughs> oh man, <laughs> freaking bastard, dude! You, you have, it you was a personal pozole, dude. <laughs> Hey, yeah, but, I, 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 dude, I went to see him play, and um, it was pretty sad, dude. He, it was after that, sad, dude. After that accident, accident where he killed somebody, I, I think he just, just was never the same. Well, didn't he have two accidents, right? Or was I, it the same one where he messed up his, a, he messed up his knee or, or his ankle? Yeah, he, I think it was his ankle. He, he was, uh, I think he was actually fl- uh, driving to the airport to go to a, you know, to a, to. With the national team, or if I'm not mistaken, and you know, he got into an accident, and unfortunately, uh, yeah, he was—he never mentally he was—he was con. Well, well, keep in mind, I think if I if I if I recall correctly, I mean, keep in mind that you know it, it was an accident. Uh, a family died. You know, I think like two, three people died in, in you know in, the, in that car in the other car. But if I recall correctly, some months after. The family was going after him, like you know, trying to shake him down. So, uh, so I'm no, not... but you know, they brought him and Pulpo Suniga, and, and uh, Pulpo Suniga is a pretty good keeper. And uh, Suniga got injured like maybe five minutes or less than five minutes into the first match of the season, and I was like, damn, and uh. And, <laughs> And Ramirez was just hobbling the whole time, dude. It was pretty bad, dude, because, you know, Vergara just advertised Chivas as, like, soccer is here, and, and we're going to teach you how to play the game. And uh, <laughs> we're getting Mexican players dropping, like, flies in the first match. I was like, fuck it. And, uh, and all the, a lot of the youth players they bought were, they were pretty bad. Yeah, Jesus, it was... Yeah, that was pretty bad. Dude, I can't believe but we're still live, dude. Are we still live on YouTube? Yeah, we are, dude. So, um, you should I'm talk gonna, about readers. I'm going to bounce, guys. You're Take gonna, it easy. Well, hey, 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 hey. Uh, I wanted to talk about the uh, the uh, the wolf and the coyote. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, guys, I'm out. <laughs> No, no, no. Oh, I, I, I definitely gotta gotta take off, man. Come on, man. I, I really want to talk about. This. <laughs> <laughs> I, I missed that documentary. I, I want to hear. Yes, I want to hear about this. Just, just give us a recap. Give us a recap. <laughs> He's gone, dude. <laughs> oh man. I, I was hoping this is good as a Neanderthal uh, documentary. <laughs> Did you see Very. the picture? Did you see the picture that I that I posted? Nah, man, I missed it. <laughs> I was stuck. Oh. I was stuck driving all day. Uh, oh, oh, uh, you were driving. Uh, you were going from job site to job site. Yeah, but they were pretty far apart. Oh shit! I'm out, guys. Check it out. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah they're, no. at least like, they're like an hour away, but. Just, it's a very time-consuming. Make shit. There's a lot of waiting. It's just boring, man. <laughs> hey, uh, I didn't, I didn't uh, realize. My brother actually told me while he was at the game, he was, uh, he actually went to the Galaxy game. Oh, doesn't he take photographs? He said, yeah, but he's not doing it for for my for. He's not doing it for Soccer Chronicle. He's actually doing it for uh, for a Spanish um, agency. 
like they're like they're a big big like you know Efe, you know the uh yeah i heard of them yeah they're you know they're big they're like ap rooters and stuff like that so he's actually uh he's actually doing a lot of assignments right now for 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 uh, my buddy um uh, they're you know the, he's like they, they were doing photo shoots for like samuel l jackson they were doing uh a lot of shoots you know but i mean they they they, they don't do just sports or soccer like you know like i do i mean they do everything. They do, you know, commercial work. They do, you know, they provide, you know, content for magazines, for newspapers and stuff like that on a wide thing. So he's, you know, he's learning a lot over there with them. How come you don't have him, like, give you some picks for when, um, when, uh, Juan is at the Galaxy game? Well, keep in and mind, set, set aside he, he, two or three. He's using their gear. Oh. So I mean, he's using he's shooting with a 400 uh, millimeter because he doesn't have you know he doesn't have gear like I you know like I do. I mean he you know he's using the company's gear. So I mean basically and the, and the lenses. Know, yeah, he's using all the lenses and stuff like that. So I mean, whatever he shoots, it's it's for them, you know, not for me. So I mean, tell him to slip some some pictures on you know. On the down low. <laughs> on the down low. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I need to. I need to. We had a guy do that for us. I'm not going to mention names. So he was working for a magazine, and uh, they were credit him, and uh, he would pass on some of them for uh, for food mix source. Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, shit. All right, well, man, I'll, I'll let you be, dude. All right, dude, I got to call it in, too. All right, man, later. Good night.
ஹலோ